Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. This is Jay. And I'm Shanna, Shanna Burger, Masha, Shanna Sucker, that's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the... I love that joke, though. Uh, thank joke. you, Coens, for writing that joke for me so that I didn't have to write one today. Or maybe Sam Raimi. This was co-written oh, yeah, actually, by yeah, Sam right. Raimi. Interestingly, yeah. uh, the two of them, oddly enough, they they both collaborated on their failures because hmm. they worked with uh, Sam Raimi on Crime Wave, which is like his biggest failure. Like it's the movie he made right after Evil Dead that almost destroyed his career. Oh, God. Yeah, I never saw that one. And they have cameos in it like he has a cameo in this. <laughs> Uh, but yes, the, this week we're talking about the Hudsucker Proxy uh, from 1994, director Joel Cohen. Oh, 94. I thought it was, for some reason, I thought it was 80-something. No, 94. This one is uh, right in between, uh, this is before Fargo and after, God, I don't know what the one right before this would have been. Uh, but you know, uh, mid nineties, uh, this is sort of like their first big flop, I think. Um, I can imagine why it would be a flop. Let, let's be real. Hudsucker proxy. The name itself doesn't sell anything. Oh, the, the name is bad. Uh, the, like, I, I totally understand why people didn't dig the name and it's sort of very throwbacky movie. Like it's a Preston Sturgis movie through and through, but to be fair, their biggest commercial success is also them doing a Preston Sturgis movie. Oh, brother, where art thou? Oh, well. Like, that yeah, one is okay. legitimately a, a Preston Sturgis movie. And, like, it's based on uh, a title taken from one of his movies. Uh, but, like, it, it's th this is clearly doing the same thing. Like, this is set in the 50s. It's this uh, Horatio Alger uh, rise and fall story. It's got this... Uh, absurd cosmology in it with a character <laughs> who is maybe God. Um, maybe. <laughs> and yeah, I, I think last week I, I had misremembered it as taking place in the twenties and being to do with like the stock market crash, just because of people falling from buildings in this. But oh yeah. There, there's a lot of uh, people jumping out of windows uh, with varying degrees of success. Yeah. Uh, but th this opens in, uh, 1958 uh new year's eve 1958 in new york city I, I love the the snow globe new york that we get at the beginning really cool a lot of really beautiful models uh and and just this snow coming down and uh the the camera just kind of slowly moving through the streets to hudson industries which is cool building very threatening it it's really yeah like really kind of dystopian it's got like this neon light clock and the oh, what does it say underneath the future is now that's what it is yeah <laughs> and slogan. of course it's like the tallest building in this version of new york yeah it it feels very superman it it feels like something in uh classic 30s metropolis oh totally actually yeah that's that's exactly where where it looks like that came out of even though when we meet the newspaper guys later with John Mahoney, he is much more of a J. Jonah Jameson than uh, uh, Perry. 
so we're introduced to Tim Robbins as Norville Barnes, uh, who's stepping out on a ledge. And we have our narrator, uh, Moses, although we haven't been introduced to Moses. Yeah, we he, he's just so far, he's just the narrator. And I like how he says, well, is he going to do it? Uh, I can't tell the future, but I can tell you the past. <laughs> uh, his specific, it's not just, is he going to do it? Is It's, is Norville really going to jelly up the sidewalk? <laughs> That's what it was, jelly up the <laughs> sidewalk. <laughs> really excellent dialogue in this and i think that's one of the things that makes it really rewatchable is there there's just such a a fizz to the dialogue uh there, there's there's always a little bit of quirk to everything a oh, lot yeah. of repetition a lot of like <laughs> gags that kind of gather momentum mm-hmm. uh, so it 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 strikes midnight and the credits begin it, they we we flash back to norville arriving from muncie uh, like on a bus from Muncie at the, I guess, Grand Central. Oh, right. And he's, does he go straight to the job, <laughs> the job board slot machine? Yeah, he walks to this employment agency and the curtain opens and it's this ticker flipping slot machine of jobs. This is incredible. It feels like something that would exist in the Joe versus the Volcano universe. Very similar style, very, very similar flavor. But uh, yeah, he's it's got all these different jobs, but they're all saying need experience. But what I loved about this is he is the jobs that he's looking at, like the ones that he's focused on is all president and vice president. It's like it's like need need experience to be the president. Oh, well, there's a lot of things like it's it's literally every job because you see oh, a lot really of other is. ones. You you oh, see so like much. electrician. Uh, also, every single one says need experience. Flower, like three yeah, years flower experience. Flower arranger. Experience a must. Oh yeah. Which uh is, I still think, pretty true. <laughs> oh, it's. I think it's probably more true now than it was then. It's I like mean, absolutely to, it is. You need to have 20 plus years of experience on uh, this thing that's only on this software program that's existed for five years. Yeah. And uh, then we'll pay you $15 an hour. Right. Uh, so, like, the odds are stacked against our underdog protagonist. And we cut to the board meeting, the Hudsucker board meeting. <laughs> and profits are up. They're record-breaking. They're up 18%. Oh, yeah. The guy's just going off about how how incredible the profits are. And, like, he's got, like, this whole big, long speech. And the, the chairman is just not paying attention. Yeah. Uh, totally checked out and and we cut back to robbins he's looking for he's looking through the want ads in a newspaper and we see him lift up his coffee cup and finish it off and it, it in the ring left under the coffee mug is hudsucker industries the future is now but he doesn't <laughs> see it because you know he's he's stepping away and just he's left the paper yeah, I love the, the ad is like long hours, low pay, no experience <laughs> needed. Uh, yeah, I mean, no experience needed, though. Uh, and the, the newspaper blows out and follows him down the street and like clings to his leg because it's destiny. <laughs> you know, I think the job that he ends up getting, he probably should have some experience for that one. It sounds like sounds like it's too hard for a newbie. 
I mean, there's that one guy who has 45 years of experience doing it. Oh, he's yeah, an he's artist. Seen... Oh yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> uh, but like it, it, this feels like a comedic riff on Brazil, but spe- but set in like the fifties America instead of, uh, you know, in a dystopian future, you know, Brazil. Uh, I haven't seen it. Oh, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Like this feels like the similar, uh, bureaucracy of this building and the pipes and everything. (laughs) Well, that, that was like a real thing though, back then. Oh yeah. Totally. I don't understand how that actually worked and how that was more efficient than anything else, but apparently it worked and pneumatic tubes. Just a complicated know. network of pipes, it must have been. I guess so. Uh, but yeah, you know, he, he looks and he finally sees it. And, you know, it's perfectly outlined by the coffee circle. And then we cut back to the board meeting where uh, the president of Hudsucker, he winds his watch and he stands up and clears his throat. <laughs> like. Adjusts his cufflinks a little bit. He steps up on the chair to the table. He readies himself like a sprinter. <laughs> this is amazing. Like, the physical acting that this guy does. Super good. I, I, I love this guy. Um, uh, uh, Charles Durning. He's in a whole bunch of Coen Brothers movies. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I've seen him before. But it's just, like, yeah, he's, like, winding up at the edge of the table. And then we cut back outside with uh, 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 Norval approaching the building. And then we back up uh, on the on the 44th floor. Hudsucker runs down the table and crashes through the window right at the strike of noon. <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah. And I love he's like trying to aim where he lands so he doesn't splatter anybody. Like as we follow him down, as he's like very mildly watching as things like just kind of like whoop, 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 float this way <laughs> and splat. Like, yeah, it looks like some, he's like he's playing some kind of like reverse frogger or something. Mm-hmm. And we see a, 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 a from below shot of Paul Newman as Sidney J. Musburger, our villain. <laughs> this guy, I, I love this guy. He's such a classic he's... actor. He's so good at playing just like the meanest villains. He reminds me of uh, Cyril Sneer from the Raccoons. In this. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, we, we see him looking down through the broken window, and then he walks over to Hudsucker's seat and picks up his still burning cigar. It's like, shame to waste a good Monte Cristo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he wastes no time taking charge. Oh no, of course. I I love the board member right at the at his uh, left hand with the oh, very dramatic eyebrows. Guy. Yeah. Why did he do it? <laughs> what am I, a head shrinker? Uh, at one one of the guys is like, every step he took was a step up. Well, until the last one. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he had no will and has no heirs. So. The company policy is his shares will become common stock and sold to the public on the first of the fiscal year, uh, which is January 1st in this case, which makes this a Christmas movie, even though they never mention it. It's more of, 
I guess it's more of a New Year's movie. It's a New Year's movie, yeah. Although it takes place over the 30 days <laughs> leading up. Oh, like, yeah. This, oh, my God. This takes place over 30 days. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's incredibly compressed. But that's sort of like the gag is it, it does have the feeling of these really weird, zany uh, 40s and 50s movies uh, with the, the, the sort of. Uh, magical absurdity, like a Christmas in July or something, <laughs> or or uh, uh, it's a wonderful life is certainly another one in this vein. Oh yeah, that, that's another one I haven't seen. I see. Uh, so, uh, oh yeah, the man just dropped forty-five floors, forty-four, <laughs> including the mezzanine. <laughs> we get that that like uh, repeated like three or four times. Yeah, but sometimes it's like 44, 45, if you don't include the mess or something like right, that. Right, yeah, yeah, very They go backwards. Uh, but yeah, so ultimately they're not able to buy a controlling interest in uh, Hudsucker because the stock is so high. They're doing so great that yeah, now that he's dead, they can't get his stock. <laughs> yep, yep, and they're like, well, shit, we got to come up with something, otherwise any asshole on the street will be able to buy be our will be sitting up here in the boardroom with us basically right. and it's like how long before hud's paper hits the market 30 days four weeks a month at most <laughs> <laughs> so they're like their plan is they're gonna just make the stock really cheap we'll, we'll just like scare the stockholders for a bit and uh, uh get as much as we can get so we have 51 percent yeah, they they want to hire the dumbest idiot they can find and make him the president to to scare the shareholders. Yeah, it, it, quote from uh, Musburger: "Some jerk we can really push around," <laughs> which cuts, of course, to Norval in the mailroom being shouted all of his duties by this very intense man. <laughs> if you're late with this. You're, they'll dock your pay. If you're late with that, they'll dock your pay. No, no, it's not. And they dock ya. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do this, exactly. And they dock ya. Yeah. And, and like at one point, it's like seven, two, five, four, five. This is your employee number. Memorize it. It will not be repeated. I, I have the exact number written out. Six, seven, eight, seven, zero, four, seven, nine, alpha six. <laughs> That's your employee number. It will not be repeated. You need it to receive your paycheck. And if you don't got it, they dock ya! And then he storms <laughs> off. Yeah, like, oh, <laughs> much like the Joe versus the Volcano experience, a lot of excellent single-scene characters mm-hmm. who just, like, really shine in their one moment. Yeah, like, there, there's a lot of... This reminded me a lot of that, but it, it goes off in a different direction. So he, he asks an experienced male guy who's just, like shooting the letters into uh, the boxes <laughs> with like like throwing stars it's amazing oh yeah it's so good um, because he can't get the mailbox for the one guy is too small for the envelope and the old man's like well you get in trouble if you fold it so i just throw it out yeah if you fold them they fire you i usually throw them out <laughs> <laughs> But like you know, it's conscientious Norville. So where we we see him write on it, please deliver this to your son, because like the the one with the really 
Oh, like yeah, the half size box is Cloppet Jr. and he puts it in Cloppet Senior's box and he even signs his name on it. <laughs> oh <laughs> well, that never comes back to bite him in the ass because it doesn't. he's got another duty to attend uh, to pretty quick here. Pretty soon. Like first we get an introduction of his uh great ideas. He's like I <laughs> I, I've got these big ideas. Look at this. I designed it myself. It's literally a circle on a piece of paper with nothing else. I, and it, it's so great. Just the, the not just that it's just a circle, but that he's got it folded up and that he has to carefully unfold it to show it to people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and of course, the, the line every time, you know, for kids. <laughs> Uh, the circle thing ends up the circle blueprint ends up being like a really great gag that they they use it that they repeat the gag really well but they also use it in different ways yeah they they do have three excellent iterations of it and every one of them is funny (laughs) because it's all exactly the same. They're all exactly the same blueprint, and then they're all just like, oh yeah, I mean, that is an iconic sort of 50s thing in, in such a weird way. And then circularity is central to the whole movie, because, you know, it starts at the end, and, you know, uh, yeah. things run, it, the clock is a circle, and the clock runs everything, and the clock is the corporation, and the corporation is capitalism, and blah, blah, blah. We'll we'll have to get into the theology of it all when we get to Oh, the end. yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, we, we get the idea that he's extremely earnest, but he's maybe a little weird. We really don't get any idea of the meaning of his blueprint. Nope, uh, that doesn't show up for a long time. No. Uh, the, the other guy's like, oh, I've been here 48 years. Next year I get to move up to parcels. <laughs> That sounds about right. Yeah. So the, the uh, wearing Hudsucker's death is announced over the PA. So they say wearing Hudsucker merged with the infinite to mark this occasion of corporate loss. We ask that all employees take a moment of silent reflection. <laughs> and they all pause. This moment has been duly noted on your time card and, and will like, be deducted from your right. pay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so good. <laughs> that, that's, that's just brilliant. Like a, a very Brazil as well. The, it it the also dystopia. feels like it could be a Simpsons joke. I mean, it it feels like that's what's going to happen the day Jeff Bezos dies at Amazon. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the blue letter. And the utter chaos of the blue letter, which has blue letter written on it and is a blue colored letter in an envelope. (laughs) It is the most important letter, the top highest security. You need to take that to his recipient and put it in his hand. Not a receptionist, not a bodyguard or whatever, but straight to whoever it is. And they're always bad news. And this oh, yeah. was written by Hudsucker himself and is addressed to Sid Musburger. I love the corporate people's names. Great uh, names. <laughs> like, that's one of the Coen Brothers things. They are they are so good at naming characters. 
Uh, so uh, uh, Norval Barnes, of course, ends up having to deliver it. You know, he's he's the guy who didn't hide enough. Everybody else <laughs> is running head. You don't look busy as he's like got his arms overflowing with papers and envelopes and folders. <laughs> uh, so then we meet another very important character, Buzz the Elevator Guy. Who seems like he's just going to be a one off, but he does come back. Do you recognize him? Uh I know he looks familiar, but no, I don't. He is Jim True Frost, who you would know best as Prez from The Wire. Oh, shit. This is a, a younger Prez. Wow. Uh, wouldn't have guessed that. <laughs> it's a very energetic, wild performance. Uh, he, he likes his rhymes. If your name doesn't rhyme with the floor you want, I'm sorry, you're taking the stairs, Jack. <laughs> like... <laughs> I, I can't remember. It's like uh, this this guy, Mr. Levin, floor thirty seven. He's like thirty six. I'm like, take the stairs down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he goes through his whole spiel, getting everybody to where they go, and he's like, oh, a blue letter. Why didn't you say so? Well, first they go like several floors, and he makes like three off color jokes about Hudsucker's death. Like, oh yeah you know d- different you know uh really gruesome jokes and then then he sees the blue letter and everybody freaks out he switches to express <laughs> yeah. uh, and then everybody yeah, so, like parts in the crowded elevator so he can get out right and then he has the the appointment book discussion the lady is like you're not in the appointment book he's like i know i'm not in the appointment like well you're not in there <laughs> It's like, I, I'm aware of that. Uh, finally, he pulls out the letter and there's the lady who's like on a ladder. With, oh, my God. She just screams. It like, you know, zooms into her screaming mouth. Yeah, she she's up on a, a tall ladder filing stuff in all these cabinets. Yeah. Musburger's oh. office is fucking incredible. Oh, yeah. It's on like one side of the clock. So you can see like one. It's huge. Like. Mm-hmm. really high ceiling and half of the back wall is just the clock the two and the three yeah and and we'll see the the hands descending periodically through each scene which is just super cool like one of the coolest sets i've ever seen he's and, basically saying i know he can get the job but can he fuck <laughs> up the job over like, the phone yeah there, there's this whole list of people that People are asking or like proposing is like, well, this person could be the president. He's like, well, that guy, he's a good guy with a lot of lots of friends. In fact, why don't you fire him? Scratch that. I'll fire him. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, no, he he's in he's in he moved into Gromis and O-Rings. He's he's doing good over there. Yeah. And, and there's like one point where he is telling off people on two different phones at the same time, just yelling <laughs> back and forth while Norval is slowly crossing this giant empty room. <laughs> yeah. And he's like looking at him and just kind of waiting for him to he's like making eye contact with him while he's screaming at whoever on the phone. And of course, Norval's first thing is like, well, let's try showing him my design <laughs> yeah he's like okay well i got something very important but first uh, and musburger uh, he sees it and like you know he's dumbstruck 
It's like, and he says, wait a minute. And his executive ball clicker, which has been clicking the whole time, instantly stops. Oh. <laughs> it freezes. <laughs> yep. Actually, and, he's got like a lot of ticking things in his office because he's right next to the clock, too. And and not only like currently he's right next to the clock, but he has a secret office inside the clock later. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so he is sort of tending the clock. He, he So even though he's not the real tender of the clock, he's kind of an infection within it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, like the the clicking is is a big thing with him. The the ticking of the clock. Mm-hmm. So he he looks uh, he looks Norval over, and he puts a cigar in his mouth, and he has him sit down at his desk, and they have a little conversation about Norval's education. Oh yeah, this is great. It's like I bet people like you. I bet they didn't take you seriously. I bet they called you an idiot, a nigga, a dumbass. Not really. Well, they voted me most likely to succeed, and you're fired. And he rips the cigar out of his mouth. Uh, and, and I also like, like earlier in that he he's like uh, he's like oh I don't know he didn't do very well in school. I'm like no, I did I did great. I I made the dean's list. And he's like getting originally at the Muncie College of Business Administration. He's like oh okay okay. He, he he's like goes along with him a bit more. <laughs> what uh. But yeah, yeah, so people didn't call you names. And and the lit cigar thrown uh, burns the front page of the Bumstead contract. Oh, right. The, that, I was trying to remember the guy's name. And yeah, it's the Bumstead. Because like all, through all this, the secretary, in addition to everything else he's doing, the secretary's phone, he's like, Mr. Bumstead is threatening to leave. Give him a magazine. Yeah, he's waiting down in the lobby and getting impatient. So the Bumstead contract is really important. He says something like, I've been working on that for three months. But yeah, so <laughs> the cigarette lights it on fire. Well, only the first page. Yeah. And it's so, very easily dealt with. <laughs> yeah, just toss it in the garbage and get the secretary to write up another first page. That's all you got to do. Except Norval has run across the room and grabbed the water cooler. And oh, yeah. hilariously, like dragging it over, spilling water everywhere. In like this jagged zigzag pattern across the carpet, he spills the entirety of the water getting there. And yeah. by this point, it's just a small fire in the garbage can because, you know, he it, it was just the cover page. And like uh, uh, Musburger is just arguing with his secretary about how long it will take to just print a new cover page because she thinks he means to reprint the entire contract yeah uh which would take you know a couple days or hours or something and Uh, yeah too long and and he's just having all this stupid back and forth and not noticing that norval is heading towards disaster (laughs) (laughs) over and over again yeah um he like tries to stamp out the garbage fire and gets uh, gets his foot stuck because everyone who tries to stamp out a garbage fire has to get their foot stuck well, especially in a Looney Tunes cartoon, which oh, this yeah. kind of is. It, it really is. And yeah, he he gets it stuck on his foot. So, you know, he kicks it off. He throws the burning trash can through a window. And the contract just blows away. <laughs> the Bumstead contract! <laughs> Musburger is just like grabbing for pages and he fucking falls out the window. And Norville <laughs> catches him by his pants. 
This yeah, is my, love, my favorite gag in the whole movie. This gag is really good. I gotta say, <laughs> he's like, "I got you by the pants." <laughs> Musburger flashes back to when he had the tailor making his pants, and the tailor's like, "I could do a double seam for you. Those pants would never rip." No, yeah, and we don't need that. He's like, "Ah," and and he's really rude, and he's kind of a jerk about it, and he and. And we cut back to the president, like they start to give way. And then we flash back again to just the tailor alone. Obviously not just a flashback, but just like our own inner knowledge of what actually yeah. happened of him. It's like, ah, oh, he's a good man. I give him the double stitch anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then it stops tearing in the present. That's I, that's so good. I love that. That is probably my favorite part of the whole movie. It's just a genius joke construction. So then uh, we, we kind of smash cut to Norville meeting the board and becoming the president. <laughs> like <laughs> someone who can cause that much chaos in one moment in his office, obviously is the perfect man for this job. Yeah. <laughs> they found someone who can do the job or get the job and fuck up the job. Yeah. So we have this laughing montage. Just <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah the board members are laughing because they found their patsy and musburger's laughing and and norville's laughing because he's the president and he doesn't and, seem and there, to be aware of what he's laughing at and like we, we we see him get a makeover laughing the whole time surrounded by people laughing and you know his photo being taken and just all of these newspaper headlines about the stock dropping <laughs> well well everybody's laughing uh, and we cut to the newspaper editor, the great John Mahoney. Fraser's dad, if you don't know. And previously we discussed on Moonstruck. Oh, yes. He's very J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, my, my first thought was immediately get me pictures of Spider-Man. Yeah, basically, he, he, only he wants articles about the idea, man. Why won't they let us interview him? Who is this new mysterious president? Get me pictures of idea, man. Uh, it's a, a pretty interesting bunch of uh, gumshoes in his uh, like his newspaper guys. We, you got Mike Starr in there and Bruce Campbell. Yeah, Bruce Campbell's like his main assistant. Smitty. Smitty. <laughs> She's probably working for someone named working with someone named Smoochers something. Smitty. Smitty. Yeah, yeah, Smitty. Uh, and in storms, Amy Archer, the great Jennifer Jason Lee. <laughs> well, I got a great idea about the story, but you, you got to know you're being played. I, I can't possibly do her voice. She's so she's a fast talking city gal. She's so fast talking. She does the like 40s newspaper woman fast talking shit better than anyone else in this movie. Mm hmm. <laughs> And yeah, she thinks he's a fake. That that's her story. She she is sure he is just a a, a, a suit full of air. And uh, you may have heard that she has a Pulitzer. Oh, <laughs> it comes up <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> These two guys like, I got five bucks that says she mentions a Pulitzer. Well, you sure she did it yesterday? All right, I'll take the bet. And like she goes through her whole spiel and storms out, and then she comes back in just to mention it. <laughs> I stake my Pulitzer on it. <laughs> and of course, it had gotten to the point where the they had exchanged money and then had to give the money back. 
Yeah, again, like a very Looney Tunesy kind of gag. Yeah. Uh, so Norval is worried about the stock, but we have Musburger being like, ah, it's a natural transition period. You don't need to worry. And there's this and this and this. And just a uh, whole bunch of nonsense. Away, or, yeah. yeah. The coward like stockholders. Yeah. yeah. And then we see him approached by Amy, the, this narrated encounter by two cabbies. This is a, this is another really, uh, this kind of reminded me of like a Disney thing. Oh, yeah. Like an animated thing as well. Like a, a yeah. lot of this really feels like live action animation. Because mm-hmm, like the, it's like, ah, shucks, that gal's going to try and pull a fast one on that guy. Oh, but I don't know. Maybe he's slow. I don't think he's slow. He's slow or, or something <laughs> he, like that. No, he looks slow. Uh, and like lumbago, that joke's got whiskers on it. <laughs> or that, that gag's got whiskers on it. Right, uh, but yeah, I don't uh, even she, know what that means. But it, she, it, it comes yeah, up. It's, a it's old. Times. Yeah, uh, but uh, she's she's pretending not to have any money, and then like pretending to be like upset, and uh, she ultimately pretends to faint into his arms, and he takes her to his office, and it's it's he's hilariously out of breath because he's obviously been carrying her an extremely long way. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, she she unreels her sad story, which involves her being just a, 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 a young girl from Muncie, just like him. Yeah, it's like, from a small town, you wouldn't have heard of it. Every time he tries to say something, she just like gets annoyed at the interruption and then just picks up right from the same sentence she left off at. Like, she's got this whole long thing rehearsed in her head very carefully and she's rehearsed. gonna get it out she's gonna yeah. get it all out and he sings the college fight song <laughs> which she tries to because she's obviously not really from muncie it's not a coincidence she's just right. figured it out and and she's trying to like figure out what the song is in real time and sing along with him and he's just clueless he's let's so clueless. go eagles the hoist the flag of blue and gold. Rock the flag of eagle. I'm gonna go America all over your ass. <laughs> and they got they do like the silly hand gesture thing that's supposed to be an eagle. The eagle flap. I love that. That's cute. <laughs> and of course, he offers her a job as a secretary. Of course. And she goes back and tells Bruce, Bruce Campbell, Smitty. Yeah. Uh, about all of it at the news office. And yeah, she, she repeats that. I'm like, oh, well, what did you say? It's like, oh, Lumbago. I'm like, that gag's got whiskers on it. It's <laughs> like, he's a genuine idiot. Uh, absolutely brilliant headline here. Imbecile, heads hudsucker. <laughs> with with the subheadline, not a brain in his head. <laughs> well, and, they're not wrong. I don't feel like this guy was the top of his class. I do feel that he is, though, because he actually does have good business sense. It's just he's very easily swayed by other people, like he trusts other people way too much. Uh, and and yeah. that's sort of like what you usually get with the 30s and 40s uh, idiot savant hero characters like this, that they, they just sort of fall into things, but they're so sweet natured that people take advantage of them. Mm, 
Yeah. But here he becomes really awful because he's been so poisoned by the corporate culture. And it's been, what, three days now, probably? Maybe four? I mean, it can't be a lot because it's 30 days total. So is this is this where he reads the article about him? Yeah. And then he has Amy take a letter to Amy. <laughs> yeah, it's like just talk, just going off about how much, how terrible she must be and all that stuff. And, and then he's like, oh, you know what? I don't want to send the letter. I just wanted to get that off my chest. God, that woman is awful, though. I, I really like he, he, he among the letter when he's finishing dictating. He's like, would an imbecile come up with this? And he turns his pad around because he's drawn his his circle uh, on like a larger pad. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that's how, you know, the idea is coming closer to fruition. And he's like, I designed it myself, (laughs) you know, for kids. (laughs) And yeah, he, he decides he feels bad. He doesn't want to send letters like, ah, and, and she, at first she's walking away feeling like kind of bad for having written the letter, but then he starts building her up as a straw man. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like, oh, she's this unattractive, fast-talking career woman. And, like, building up to, you and I both know she's a dried-up, bitter old maid. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, you can tell that she's, like, she knows that she's supposed to develop romantic feelings because that's what the script does. But he keeps making it so impossible. Well, like he like, charms her and then he he ruins it all because, the time because he then follows this up by asking her on a date. So she slaps him and says, you don't know a thing about her and storms out. <laughs> yeah. Doing kind of a Catherine Hepburn thing. Yeah. And, and he's all like, what did I say? Yeah. And then we see her sneaking around at night. She sneaks into a door marked authorized personnel only. Oh, yeah, so this is where she gets into the secret clock room. Right, and we see Musburger's secret office in there. And Moses, where the narrator of the film, uh, reveals himself as an actual character in the movie. He is the black janitor. Well, in this, he is the black clock keeper, which means you know that he knows everything. He's He is a magical black man, but like... Them definitely putting a lampshade on it. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the great Bill Gunn, uh, he's maybe God or the God of capitalism. Tending the... He's tending the, the gears. He, he Yeah, he's, he's tending the gears. I, I, I feel we should get into a theological debate when we get to the conclusion of how this plays out. But he's pretty clear about it right here that he's magical and he... Runs the clock and runs everything and well, knows all and sees all because he's like, hello, Miss Archer. Yeah, he's the one who has everything figured out. And uh, and yeah, he, he explains like, uh, oh, yeah, well, the board brought him in because they're smart, but they don't realize that he's got potential. Yeah, they think he's dumb, but they're wrong. And he's like, and so are you. And he also tells them about the stock plot. Like she, he, he does. Oh yeah. Uh, un, uh, he, he gives her the goods on that and she takes it to her boss, John Mahoney. But he doesn't believe her. Where are those pictures of idea man? 
<laughs> I can't just accuse them of insider trading like that without because of the words of a guy who runs a clock. Don't you understand? He's a magical black man who runs a clock. You can count on that. I mean, she didn't pull that card and she should have. I mean, that should hold weight. <laughs> yeah, it would have worked. Uh, in this sort of movie, that is who you have to listen to. Oh, have we? We've kind of. I think we skipped over the sinister window painter. We've seen him definitely once by this point. We we've seen yeah. him uh, put like scraping off Hudsucker's name and uh, probably once more putting on uh, um, Barnes's name. Yeah, he's he's very sinister and he's a window painter. That's stencil. all we know about him. He he or, stencils yeah, stencil. the names on or, or yeah. erases them. Yeah. So he's kind of the devil figure mm-hmm. or or the, the lord of the underworld. He is the dark side of capitalism. <laughs> is he? Well, no. <laughs> no, he is. If anything, he's a product of the dark side of capitalism. So like while she's arguing with the boss about this story, at this point, Smitty is backing her up. And there's this weird thing. He's like sketching a uh, uh, like cartoon of someone taking a dump on a newspaper. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure what it is. That's what it seems to be. I, I think it's something like that. And we can see that like uh, his speech has gotten through to her because she's like, does my suit look mannish? And uh, Smitty smacks her on the ass, and she smacks him on his face and leaves. And we cut to the annual Hudsucker Fancy Dress Christmas Gala. Oh, yes. Where, um, well, first he's stuck talking to Musburger's wife and some other lady. Just two magnificent battleships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he's trapped between them on a small couch. Uh, and oh, big... do you know the yeah? <laughs> do you know the Bumstead family or whatever? He's like, I don't know anyone. Uh, and they're they're very big fans of Amy. You know, they they're commenting very favorably on her. Mm-hmm. They think like she's his companion to the event, and they think she's just great. Uh, M- Mrs. Musburger is a very important figure uh, ultimately in in terms of plot. Is she? She, yeah, well, she's sort of a MacGuffin in a weird sort of way, driving force. Uh, and and but like Sid takes him from between them and like starts showing him around to some stockholders so he can frighten them and make them weirded out. <laughs> I, I love what he says though. It's like, oh, your wife is something like I can't remember exactly, but it's something like your wife is very lovely. So I've heard. <laughs> So he introduces him to this first major stockholder, this guy with the cowboy hat, who's asking him about the imbecile headlines. <laughs> yeah, and he basically repeats what Musburger said about, um, like, cowardly stockholders stock running away. Will and... jump ship because of the transition. And, and he just guy... gets punched out. Yeah, and then he, he tries to go to another guy, and he tries to speak Finnish to someone. and gets. Oh, yeah, because his name that. is Mr. Finlinson. Yeah, something like that. He, he, they so, they do say he's Finnish, but yeah, he gets punched out because he does not say it right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever he says, like the the dude's lady companion screams and he punches and he punches him out. 
It's just like when he pulled out the blue letter in the office, <laughs> you just like zoom into someone's screaming mouth and yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> just like that. Uh, so then out on the balcony, Amy is trying to admit that she's been lying to him. She's like, I'm not a secretary. He's like, I know. Like, you do? It's like, you're not very skilled in the secretarial arts. <laughs> but you'll get better at it. <laughs> she's like, I believe in your intentions. And and she's telling about her favorite beatnik bar that serves only carrot juice and coffee. Oh, oh yeah, that's where he ends up later. Mm-hmm. I forgot they ha- that, uh, yeah. And they have this whole talk about reincarnation and <laughs> karma. <laughs> and he's like, well, maybe in a past life I was a fast-talking city girl. Oh, no, if you were, you'd have been reincarnated as a warthog or something horrible. <laughs> and, like, she's still trying to admit that she wrote the article and it just keeps going over his head. <laughs> yeah. But they can. But, but she's also not listening to what he's saying either, because his thing is he always like starts trying to talk but gets interrupted. Doesn't matter who he's talking to. Right, that's true. Uh, and and so they kiss. You know, I, I, yeah. either way, it is destined. Mm-hmm. And we cut to the board meeting the next day, and he demonstrates his invention finally. Yeah, yeah. so it's a hula hoop is what it is. It's a hula hoop, or the plastic dingus at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they haven't come up with the name yet. They're like, all right, so what do, what do we do with this dingus? Yeah, uh, Musburger thinks it's brilliant. I, I love just the board asking all of the stupidest questions oh, in the yeah. world. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, does it have batteries? Is there a larger one for the very obese? What happens if you tire before it's done? <laughs> how do you know when it's done what happens if you tire before it's finished um <laughs> where, how are we going to get these up for christmas what happens if you tire before it's finished <laughs> yeah, like, a, a lot of repetition among them there are like a couple guys who just are stuck on one idea uh <laughs> but yeah like uh, musburger it's it's so stupid that he thinks like oh yeah this is this is gonna tank it this is perfect let's go ahead with it uh i i absolutely love the what will this cost room oh yeah (laughs) it's like all these guys like this huge room of just people accountants on typewriters with like big banners hanging from the ceiling with pictures of the hula hoop that say what will this cost (laughs) <laughs> and there, there's so many people and what they come back with it's like the room with uh, with like a hundred monkeys and a hundred typewriters that's exactly what it looks like yeah and and yeah so we we get the the close-up unit cost 59 cents suggested retail and someone's written 79 cents and they're all like kind of looking at it and someone like leans in and puts and a one puts a in one. front of it like oh everybody stands up and applauds you know <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> perfect perfect nailed it uh they have the, like the, the what are they gonna call it montage the hoop sucker the hud swinger <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a the bit where they uh have it at the proving grounds on a dummy and explode oh, it they explode the dummy and then the this the hoop is still swinging so it's like then we have the approved stamp montage <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the the argument between the two guys, the hoop sucker versus the HUD swinger, one of these dudes is Sam Raimi. Yeah, we just see them in the silhouette, just going back and forth, and back like like through silhouette through a window, and then one guy's like, "Hey guys, I got it, fellas, I got something." Uh, I I love this sequence because like they're completely in silhouette behind this frosted glass except their whiskey bottle <laughs> the whiskey <laughs> bottles in color and and it, like, i didn't notice the, that in the foreground their secretary is reading war and peace at the start of the sequence and then has moved all the way through to halfway into anna karenina <laughs> by the time <laughs> okay i completely missed that one. that is fucking brilliant there's so many little gags like that and like again to the cartoon nature of this because this movie takes place over the course of 30 days right yeah <laughs> but yeah fellas i got something and and we smash cut to the poster the hula hoop one dollar 79 slogan and it's just like yeah you know for kids for kids <laughs> and so it's got a picture of like this just this kid with a hula hoop and the ma- the manager of the toy store is having a smoke outside and nobody shows up nobody shows up and he drops the price to 159 149 and just like a really rapid montage of price stickers all the way down to two for a quarter <laughs> and then free with purchase free with purchase one. and then him just like hucking armloads of them out the back door but one of them goes on a journey it finds the perfect kid. <laughs> it finds the hula hoop kid, which I, I swear this. I didn't I didn't double check, but I swear this is a kid from the poster somehow, despite the fact that. Oh, it totally could be because, like, he's brilliant. He's incredible at it. <laughs> yeah, he just picks it up, um, just starts hula hooping and everybody like sees him. They all crowd around him. Well, it's and, like, the, the he, timing doing... is the timing is amazing because we've seen a school get let out and this horde of children running through the streets and they collide with him in just like surround him, watching him do his tricks. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then like after him doing that a bit, they all run in the direction of the toy store and we see the reverse montage of the price stickers. It's, it's not and even it's a, a montage. More. He just like, puts a new sticker that's three ninety nine, dollars <laughs> <laughs> And so... And, and all, all this, of course, happened over the course of an afternoon. Yeah, th- this was all just one day. Uh, and then we have this newsreel, the tidbits of time, uh, profiling Barnes and the hula hoop. And, and we have uh, Eisenhower calling to congratulate oh, yeah. him. <laughs> I'm very proud of you. My wife is very proud of you. Or, or Mrs. Eisenhower is very <laughs> Mrs. proud Mrs. Eisenhower. There's a science man to explain the dingus and, and <laughs> the, the sand in it to, to increase pleasure. Uh, and it, 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 it's sort of like bookended by the, the first time he does his press conference and he uses the word hoopla. And everyone just like laughs automatically like, oh, hoopla. Can we quote you on that? And like, oh, oh yeah, sure. And then at the end of the montage, he says it again. Yeah, he says it like with way more confidence and everyone's like, yeah, 
And you can quote me on that. And like the headline, the first time he says it is sky's the limit for idea, man. And then like, he says it at the end of the montage idea, man, treading water. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then like the stock is really great. So he's like, yeah, I'll take a raise. And they, they say, you've been linked. We hear you've been linked with model Zaza. Oh yeah. (laughs) And she's like, right. Because they're interviewing him while he's getting a haircut and a shave. And she's like, just to the next chair over. Lounging. He's like, Zaza and I are just friends. Isn't that right, Zaza? And it cuts to the board meeting where Musburger's like, well, I sold all of our stock. And Myron is like, in total despair. The the guy with the brows. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Right, right. So he gets up on the table. (laughs) He he tries to repeat the suicide. But he's, like, so, like, sad and pathetic about it. He's, like, crawling up on the table first. <laughs> and he does he the does. run and he jumps. He just splats against the window. He just sticks to the window and... He's like, <laughs> it's plexiglass down. now. I, I replaced it with plexiglass after uh, what happened with HUD. Really great little comedic moment. Yeah. <laughs> with his incredible brows just smacked up against the windows very funny yeah and like here norville has sort of gotten to the peak full of himself he's got a chamber group playing in his office and he's dressed <laughs> up kind of like gordon gecko he's got like a an obviously a mob bodyguard oh completely <laughs> uh and amy has come to tell him it's like do you know the board are firing 80 percent of the staff which is 1800 people which by the way, it is Christmas, right? And they're like at the peak of their stock ever. And he's like, well, you know, we got to do. I well, can't remember. He cut... makes up some excuse. It's like something you got to cut up the dead wood. Uh, and probably, you know, he probably just repeats something he heard Musburger say. It is. Yeah. Uh, and she throws everyone out so she can very properly tell him off. And then like she kicks his guard in the balls and resigns. (laughs) And he has a dream sequence about dancing, which is interrupted. Sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. That she's like wearing this ridiculous outfit and uh, yeah, he's like dancing with her and wasn't he like doing, I can't remember. Wasn't he doing like a really bad job of dancing? I believe so. It's reminiscent of uh, the, the the dream sequence uh, with the dancing and like one of the sort of Busby Berkeley sequences in Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, yes. Yes, it's a lot like that. Mm-hmm. It's weird to think that this came out before the Big Lebowski, because to me, the Big Lebowski. I always think it came out in 91 because it takes place in 91. Right, but it's like 97, I think. Yeah, 97 or 98 or something. It would have been like one or two movies after this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So Buzz wakes him up. Buddy! He's got a circle idea of his own. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you he's know. got a... <laughs> <laughs> You know, for drinks. <laughs> he's just like, what? It's a but Bentley Buzz has a, He has a prototype built somehow. I call it the buzz sucker. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So it's a bendy straw, but the, the blueprint looks exactly the same with the circle, and then it looks 
just completely straight from the side and so, yeah such a perfect visual gag it's it's so good like they 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 do it three times and every time it's perfect and and norval is so mad at him he fires him and yeah. buzz just immediately crumples he's crying at his feet he's like holding on to his ankles he makes him he like he yells at him to leave and he crawls out sobbing we don't crawl in hudsucker <laughs> well it's it's norval saying it's like hey we don't crawl at hudsucker <laughs> right right yeah uh, and Musburger receives a report about Amy on his desk. We don't see who gives it to him. I thought it was. I thought we did see that it was the the uh, the sign guy. Oh yeah, no, that's right. It totally is the sign guy, uh, the stenciler guy. The uh, uh, the stenciler slash hitman. The devil. Maybe. <laughs> he definitely ain't a good guy. No, he definitely isn't. So Musburger meets with Norval in the boardroom. And he's like, Buzz tells me you stole the dingus idea from him. Which actually makes no sense because, like, later on when he... Well, we'll, we'll get to it. Yeah, no, but, yeah, he's like, no, absurd. no, I came up with that myself. And he's also like, but I don't care about that. It, it doesn't matter. The, the more important thing is that Amy is a spy. And this... You you hiring her shows poor judgment. So when the board meets after New Year's, you're finished. Yeah, and he's and just like, oh. This is the first time we get the line, when you're dead, you stay dead. Ask wearing Hudsucker. Oh, yes. <laughs> Another one of our recurring lines. Yeah. Uh, so the, the paper is running with Buzz's story, and we have Amy protesting that going out. Cause she knows it's not true, because he showed her the design. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Smitty has a source on the HUD board. He says, it's very hush-hush. <laughs> <laughs> and here's where she's like, something like, shut up, smoocher. Yeah, and she resigns. She slaps him again. Oh, yeah, she resigns the same way she resigns as the secretary. Exactly the same way. She resigns yeah. and slaps. Uh, we, we see <laughs> Norval being psychoanalyzed in a film strip. Oh, my God, yes. And he's by, like, you know, the stereotypical evil German psychologist. An, uh, an obvious Freudian, yeah. Yeah. And we must take him and bring him into the loony bin. And we're going we're gonna to give him some electroshock. He's definitely nearing his lowest point. <laughs> uh, and we cut to Steve Buscemi. A young Steve Buscemi phoning Amy from the beatnik bar because she has to pick up Norville because he's really annoying them. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like wasted. And he's like, I'll get a martini. I would like to get a martini. He's like, we only serve carrot juice and coffee here, guy. <laughs> okay, well, how about martini? And he's like, I've gotten a martini on every bar all the way down here. And all I want to get here is a martini. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. And he, he keeps trying to get Amy to come deal with him. Uh, and Amy shows up and gives him a little pep talk, even though he's quit. Yeah. And she sings the Muncie fight song and he storms out yelling, when you're dead, you stay dead. 
When does he have the dream where Eisenhower is disappointed in him? That's got to be right ar- around here. Uh, like maybe right after Buzz punches him. So here's the thing <laughs> that makes no sense. Buzz says to uh, Norville, he's like, Sydney told Sydney told me you got you. You took the idea from my yeah. <laughs> like he well, fucking what? He's do, that do, dumb. <laughs> do you, so hold on. Do you think that you just forgot that you invented the hula hoop and then he Correct. stole it from you and then you forgot about all of this until Sydney reminded? This is so beautifully stupid. He he's incredibly dumb. He's perfectly dumb. Uh, and and like you know, Norville's wandering the streets. The, the the fraud headlines are in the New Year's Eve edition of the papers, and everyone's yeah. yelling it out. Uh, and and meanwhile, the board have sent out people from uh, Sunnydale Rest Home after him. <laughs> yeah, the, from the uh, the loony bin, and they've got their like dog catcher nets. Like huge butterfly nets. There's one guy with the net and one guy with a straight jacket. Just like again, very Looney Tunes. Oh yeah, yeah. Like like this this takes place in Looney Tunes, New York. Acme, New York. Like Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Same yeah. universe as Joe versus the volcano and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, totally. Uh, is it like the whole board have party hats on when they're sending out the Sunnydale people, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, so Norvala runs into Buzz, and Buzz is like, hey, I'm getting my job back. And uh, <laughs> Sydney tells me that you took that idea from me. And he gets really <laughs> mad at him, and he punches Norville. <laughs> like, this is just the most nonsense logic. Um, <laughs> I love it because it's one of those things that clearly is only happening because the movie needs it to, but like, they're just wearing that on their sleeve. Well, like if he was a dumb guy who was a wolf in a cartoon, it would yeah. make like 50% more sense, right? <laughs> You're like, oh yeah, no, he's the dog guy. He's dumb. Yeah, or or, or like like an Elmer Fudd. Totally, Elmer Fudd yeah. Would fall for that. Yeah. So Norval ends up being chased by a crowd. He literally runs into the HUD building, like collides with it, and then he goes inside. He enters the lobby. There's a sheet that blows in the wind that looks like a ghost, but it's a giant bronze bust of himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Huge idol. He stares at it. And and we see Musburger at his desk with his list of new company names, which you referenced earlier. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's like Hudburger, uh, Mussucker. And then what we what he settles on is Sid Sucker. Sid Sucker Industries, circled in red. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and Norval arrives upstairs to find that Musburger's name is already being stenciled on his door by the sinister guy. Just glares at him. But he goes into his office anyway, and he, he gets his old mailroom apron, and he goes out on the ledge. Yeah, which... <laughs> it's funny that he kept it, and that it's also funny that it stayed in the office after he got fired, but... Whatever. And he needed to have it. So it's all good. Well, it's still only been like a couple days. Like, <laughs> I guess you know, so. <laughs> it's, it's been 30 days total now. I, I think we're at day 29. 
Yeah, we'd be at day 29 uh, because this is New Year's Eve right now. Right. Uh, So he's out on the ledge and someone shuts off the lights and closes the window. And as the clock, uh... well, the clock chimes midnight and he slips and then he sees the stenciler watching from the window and is like his, his breath puffing up the glass. Of yep. course, it's the stenciler uh, and he, he starts to fall. And, and yeah, he's falling for a very long time. But 20 floors up, he stops, just freezes in the air. <laughs> yeah. And like everything's frozen. All the people are frozen, but he's still moving. And we cut to the clock keeper stuck a broomstick in one of the gears. And he's like, I'm not ever supposed to do this, but you got any <laughs> other ideas? So time's frozen and an angel descends singing Campdown Races. <laughs> it's Mr. Hudsucker. And he's got a hula halo. Oh, my God. I didn't realize that. I just thought the halo movie weird was because of, like the special effects they use. I didn't realize it was a, <laughs> it's a hula. hula halo. Oh, my God. He's like, that's. Yeah, he's like, they're all wearing them upstairs. It's a fad. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great touch. I like that's something that took me a bunch. Like, I've seen this movie many times and I did not notice that until quite recently. (laughs) Oh, shit. Yeah, uh, I didn't notice that. And yeah, he's. Forgot. But yeah, Mr. Hudsucker is asking the question that I've been kind of asking in the back of my mind the whole time. Hey, uh, so whatever happened to that blue letter? You didn't give it to Mr. Musburger. And he's like, ah, I mean, it was just my dying wish and all. And so he Although pulls out the letter. Things that, like, if he had given it to Mr. Musburger, it would have actually made everything worse for everybody. Yeah, I mean, it had to be delivered now. That that sort yeah. of like, you know, because it's a circle. Time is a flat circle. This is like that season of True Detective. Oh yes. Uh, so they read the letter while the stenciler tries to get the clock running again. Yeah, yeah he, he's getting into a fight, like a fist fight with the clock, dude. So the the thing is that Hudsucker, his life was empty because his true love married Sid Musburger. Oh, that's right. That's why the <laughs> wife is important. Yeah. That, the, one of those women. And that's I don't he know killed which himself one. over. The one on the right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he killed himself over that. Yeah. Uh, and he has this whole new philosophy of business and like the new head must learn to fall and rise again. <laughs> yeah, he's reading it as like he must learn to fall, fail. And, and <laughs> fail. Then, <laughs> fail. And then it's like uh, fail. No, that one says fall. That one says fall. And rise again. Uh, and he's left all of his shares to the new president. Yeah. And he even says in the note, it's like, which I assume is you, Sydney, but if it isn't, tough shit. Yeah. <laughs> and meanwhile, Stenciler and Moses are fighting inside the clock. <laughs> it's like the, the, the epic final battle between two characters who've had about a scene each. I mean, like, the stenciler literally does not even have a name as far as I know. I don't think uh, Aloysius is his name. Oh, that's right. That's right. But we Uh, only see it once, and I don't think he has lines. Right. 
he gets his dentures punched out by Moses. <laughs> yeah. But and Moses uh, like he he takes the broom out of the gears and knocks him over a railing to defeat him. But then, of course, the clock starts moving again. Yep. And uh, Norville starts falling again. And just before the ground, he stops and we cut to the dentures in the gear. <laughs> Somehow, as Great. they're slowly being crushed. And of course, now he's just real close to the ground. So he hits the ground and he runs to the beatnik bar to get Amy. They make the Muncie Eagles sign at each other. <laughs> <sighs> they embrace, they kiss. And then we cut to the next morning where Sid is out on the ledge and the rest home guys are there with the, the straight jacket <laughs> with, and the net. <laughs> and the net, yeah, trying to catch him. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we, we cut to just a little bit forward going forward. Norval has a new circle. <laughs> so the, this blueprint looks, it's, it's that same thing where it's like the, it's just a circle and then you see it from the side and it's just the line and it's a frisbee, <laughs> you know, for kids, you know, it, although this time he says it really confidently. It's like, you know, for kids and, and he unveils it. Cause it's like, he's got one already developed under a cloth and he throws it across the room. The end yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's brilliant in so many ways like i i think the the three different designs are, are such a great thing because all of them are that, that is a really good joke they're all a circle they're all a line it's time as a flat circle very literalized <laughs> it is what this movie's about because it's also a movie that goes in a circle and it's about time and time stops and yeah, yeah. Uh, it's ah i love that shit <laughs> so the theology of moses what is Moses' deal? Because, like, he does seem to control time, right? He controls time, but I think his... I, I don't think he's the boss of time. He is the maintainer of time. He works for the guys upstairs, but he's got to make sure it runs properly. I mean, he did say, I ain't was never the, supposed to do this. <laughs> yeah, if he was, you know, if he was the boss of time, he could do whatever he wanted. But, you know, he's like, nope, I'm a worker. I got to make sure it runs properly. Uh, Okay, I'll cheat this one time. But he can fight that stenciler guy, and that stenciler guy can just get beat, just get whooped. Oh, yeah. Um, and I well, feel like that guy is sort of some sort of Lord of the Underworld figure. Like, in, in I think their previous movie to this is Barton Fink. And Barton oh, Fink that, has... I've been meaning to see that. Oh, it's such a good movie. We, we should totally do that sometime. Uh, that's hmm, maybe my favorite. It's hard to say. Like, there, there's... The, the Cohen, I, we didn't really talk about it. What's your history with the Cohen brothers? Well, you know, it's weird because I've seen. You've seen Lebowski a million times, I've right? Seen, <laughs> no, I've seen Lebowski once, but. Really? I, yeah, I've seen it once, but it's so quotable that I might as well have seen it a billion times. I've seen it at least a hundred times. I feel like <laughs> it's one of those movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I could sit down and watch Lebowski anytime, I'm sure, because. Oh, yeah. Um. It's super rewatchable. Yeah. So otherwise, most of what I know about the Coens is like I've seen that. Uh, I saw their True Grit, mm -hmm. uh, which I liked. Um, good movie. Real good movie. Uh, Serious Man, which I'd have to watch it again with fresher eyes because I remember not really getting it at the time. I love that one. That one is probably my number one favorite. Uh, I saw Hail Caesar, I think, twice in the theater. 
Huge fan of that one. It's a great time. And I saw one half of Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, but not the first half <laughs> or the second half. I just caught like an hour in the middle of it. I see, I see. That one's pretty great. So, uh, so not Fargo, sure not others. Blood Simple. No. Uh, no. Uh, Miller's Crossing. Uh, nope. Uh... Uh, Burn After Reading is one of the major later ones. Uh, no, I No Country for Old Men, their Oscar. No, I haven't seen it. Oh, that one's great. That one's a much more serious film, and Fargo, of course, pretty serious. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they, they seem to, they seem to be able to alternate really good. Yeah, and and the thing is, uh, a lot of their serious movies. Serious and silly. Well, like they they tend to sort of be paired couples where the they sort of comment on each other. They're uh serious and silly movies will sort of be like riffs on the same theme this one is kind of the sillier version of barton fink because like barton fink has uh john goodman as sort of a demonic character of the underworld and yeah a lot, a lot I've of heard weird stuff of like goodman's that. best performances oh it's great because <laughs> uh i'll really show you the life of the mind I didn't realize Goodman could be scary until I saw uh, 13 Cloverdale Lane. And it's like, holy 10, shit, he's 10 Cloverfield Lane. Right. I think. <laughs> I don't know. Y'all know the one that Cloverdale is a city in Victoria, a street in Victoria. Yeah. Clo- Cloverfield, the one where they're in the, the bomb shelter. The bunker. And, yeah. Really good. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. Great movie. And he's like scary, but not because he's a big giant dude in that. True. Like he, he's just scary. He's just intense. He's, yeah. Like Goodman's a brilliant actor. I love Goodman. Oh yeah. Uh so any last thoughts on Hudsucker Proxy before we move on to our second film? Um No, I think I, I think we've about covered it. All right. Uh on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Michael Bay's brand new 2022 film Ambulance. Or, uh, since the L.A. is in its own font, meaning to stand for Los Angeles, Ambu Los Angelesans. Ambu Los Angelesans. Great movie. Seven M. Seven A Big fan of Seven M. Uh, also, a big fan of this. Honestly, I have like I've been thinking about it, and barring a couple of them that I haven't seen. Uh, I've never seen the Bad Boys movies. Uh, I, I I think this is Michael Bay's best movie. I think you're probably right. But at the same time, I didn't super duper love it, but I did like it. I kind of loved it, but you did watch it twice. And it is true that a Michael Bay movie can lose some of its flavor on a second viewing because you, you start to knowing how everything works out you see all of the machinery and you kind of maybe look at it a little bit more i was like eh, i see where you're going this is a little wobbly well yeah the, there was a lot of there were so many uh bayisms in this that it did feel a lot like another michael bay movie but it does do some things like i feel like he's sending up some of his older work like he's definitely- satirizing it a little bit Definitely self-referential at times. Yeah, self-referential, not not satirical. But uh, we've got, like, people who would have been the heroes in any other Michael Bay movie are kind of the villains in this. 
uh, the boomer cop and uh, gay FBI cop. Yeah. And baby cop and baby cop's partner. Well, like all of the cops are bad. <laughs> the, they are yeah. all bad. Yeah. Everything um, they do is a problem. Every time a police officer enters the scene, they make things worse. There's never an instance where they don't in this movie. That that is true. Um, it's an a caffin movie. All cops are fucking morons. Like especially that one guy with his dog. The, oh, the, oh, boomer cop. The the lead main, like he looks kind of like Johnny Knoxville but older. Yeah, the, the the sweater cop with the with this, the cool hot rod and the giant dog. Yeah, like he, Who, he feels he, like he would have been a hero in like in one of the, his in one of Michael Bay's '90s films. He feels like to me like a John Belushi character in the '80s. <laughs> like if a John like all, almost like John Belushi in K9. Oh God. Um... He was in that? Fuck, I haven't seen K-9 since I was a kid. He was in not only K-9, but K-9-11, <laughs> the sequel. So so that that's K-9-1-1. K-9-1-1, yes. Not K-9-11, <laughs> as in the John Belushi and his dog have to, oh. have to stop the jet fuel from melting the steel beams. Right, yeah, it, it's, it's like... Uh, <laughs> It's it's the John Belushi low budget dog comedy version of like Oliver Stone's uh, World Trade Center movie, and <laughs> Paul Greengrass's United ninety three, part of the trilogy K nine eleven. Oh God. <laughs> no, uh, sadly that or fortunately that does not exist. Um, no, it's K nine one one, which I think came out only. I think it might have come out in two thousand or something. Uh, disastrously bad. Wait, so, so was John Belushi the one who died? Mm, uh, uh, sorry, this is Jim Belushi. Or was that Jim I Belushi? Always forget, I always get it mixed up. John Belushi is the one who died. Yes. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Jim Belushi did was in K nine and K nine one one and like uh, the principal I think might have been him. <laughs> I've seen a lot he of. He was Jim good in Belushi. Twin Peaks though. He was great. He's really good in that. I like I I think he's a really funny guy. It's just he was in some bad movies. Yeah, yeah, he was. Um, but he's not in this one. No, no. Well, top billing is Jake Gyllenhaal, so I guess he's technically the main character. But really, there's three main characters. There's him, uh, his brother Will, and the lady paramedic uh, Cam. Are, yes. Are three, three protagonists. I. The only, Cam's the only one who actually gets to be called a hero, but but yeah, three protagonists. Yeah, they're the stars. They're they're the people we want to see get through this. Well, More by the less. end, I kind of stop rooting for for Gyllenhaal, but a little bit. We'll, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, he kind of overstays his welcome a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we open with. Uh, don't really get a whole lot of context as to what this is, but we got two kids uh, just playing, doing kid things in uh, Crime Alley, L.A. It, it reminds me a lot of like it, it's a Bayism. It it uh, really echoes uh, Pearl Harbor with like I think it's Josh Hartnett and whoever his brother is. The two of them like 
riding around in like cornfields in like oh. fake <laughs> airplanes and shit like little yeah. wooden airplanes oh yeah, yeah exactly like that car like their junk car from, yeah like, the junkyard or whatever they're yeah. pretending to drive exactly it's him doing exactly the same thing but with these guys you know they're yeah so you know this is what they were like as kids sympathize with them but uh, we we actually find it really easy to sympathize with Will because he's on the phone with health insurance. Yeah. And uh, the, which is like they're the screwing worst, him. The, the worst thing you can be doing. That's and no good. Uh, yeah, they're, they're screwing him. They're giving him the runaround. He just wants to have to get his wife's surgery for her cancer. And yeah. they're like, mm, well, yeah, blah, blah. I'm supervisor 12. No, you have to call this number at this. No, you have to call that number at that. Well, you have to listen to the menu options, sir. Bye. I can't help you. And yeah, and and he's a veteran, and he is just like, oh yeah, on he's hard a veteran times. too, which means he definitely got fucked. Yeah, he he's really screwed, uh, and so ultimately he has to go to his brother for help. Yeah, yeah, but first he has to lie to his wife about how the insurance is coming through, and I got a job. So, you know, he's he's not the goodest guy, but he's, well, he's trying. He's, he's trying. He's trying really damn hard um, as someone who's had a hard time making ends meet. I've been there. Yeah, uh, I haven't had a wife with cancer, but I've been there. And, and like he's got the she's got the baby and everything. And uh, he's like, I mean, he's very confident that he's definitely going to get the money. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, a block number call. Oh, don't worry. It wasn't Danny. Well, that's good. I know he's your brother and you love him, but we don't need him in our life. Yeah, okay, Backstory. Dear. Backstory. Yeah. <laughs> so that's his motivation. He needs money because wife surgery. Yeah. And, you know, raise kid. Uh, he's got to raise that kid. Uh, big man, big little man or something like that. I don't remember. Right. Uh, so next we see our, we meet our other protagonist, uh, Cam, the paramedic with her shitty rookie partner, Scott. Uh, they're, they're Again, driving. Scott, Scott's trying. Scott's <laughs> trying, but he, he, you know, he's, he's not the worst. He's really I mean, like, far from being the worst person in this isn't. movie. It's very easy to be uncharitable to any character in the movie, but I feel like the important thing is that most of these people are trying, are just trying their best uh, in a bad situation. Well, I don't know what Gyllenhaal is. Not at, I like, feel at like first his... he is. At first yeah. he is. It's just, you know, it goes off the rails. It, it, it uh, spirals out of his control, ultimately. Because well, like his, okay, it's true his initial he, intentions are completely to do something without harming anyone, and he has oh yeah, like no, he, a history he of doing so. Completely doesn't want to. He completely doesn't want to kill anyone. But the good way, a good way to make sure he, nobody dies is to not rob a bank. Sure, but that's also the propaganda answer to it. Well, that's true. That's a good point. Because um, nobody yeah. had to die until the police showed up and started killing people. Actually, yeah, I think the police did. The, they did do the first kill. Yep. Um, they did well, most of the first bunch of kills, as a matter of fact. Actually, yeah, you know what? No no cops got 
almost no cops got hurt in the opening heist. The, like uh, the one cop- guy did, and that's kind of important. Yeah, and the one guy who did, the bad guys, quote-unquote, spend the entire movie trying to keep him alive with every fiber of their being. Yeah, th- this... Uh... For, for a movie like this, it has actually a pretty low body count. Yeah. Because and it's, uh, it's sort of the point of it is that like they are they know that the police are this army who will destroy them and anyone else in their path to get to them, which is very much the case later on. Mm-hmm. It even like comes up later. The FBI guys like I literally can't do anything to help you. They will not listen to me because you killed one of their friends or yeah. well, at this point, several of their friends. But that's like right, right. at the end. Yeah, but but back to Cam, uh, her intro scene, she is rescuing a little girl from a car wreck and, you know, being super cool and calm and like really compassionate and uh, just, you know, just being there for this girl and helping her talk through uh, talk through having a giant metal spike in her stomach. Well, it's it's the typical the firefighters like- are trying to like. Uh, saw it off so that they can get her out of the car it's the typical michael bay thing of just like the super maximalism at every time is that you know our introduction to our uh other lead character is not just like any <laughs> typical uh you know picking up a a a, a uh, someone who is overdosed on fentanyl or something in the no, street no it's right? gonna be a catastrophic car accident with like there's all these firefighters. Spike. Yeah, there there is yeah. a small child in like uh, a uniform Super to go to private school. Music. She's got a, a big fence post sticking out of her. There's like yeah. sparks flying because there is a bunch of firefighters using saws on it. Yeah, it's uh, very maximal. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, a Wagnerian introduction. But this is only one half of cam's character once they get the little girl to the hospital she goes to scott she's like hey want to get enchiladas yeah <laughs> because the other half is that cam doesn't actually care well it's just a job it's just a job she like later on in another scene uh she explains to scott it's like yeah yeah we like i've seen so much of this i don't i don't want to hear about what happened you can't get too attached um the for them, the day they wandered into my ambulance was the worst day of their life. But for me, it was Tuesday. She she literally says that both without the M. Bison voice. Yeah, she she is M. Bison. She's she, like she, owning she's it. She's M. Bison, the paramedic. Yeah. Uh, was was M. Bison the originator of that quote? Because it's so good, but it gets used everywhere now. I think it might be, and like I I would totally believe that this movie intentionally cribbed it from that oh it must have yeah but i I, to the the whole just like grand scale of it i i think that's sort of the important lens to view all of these characters through is that it is supposed to be more of the grand scale of like a classic hollywood musical and the the emotions are at that level too Mm. uh very basic everybody is just like i the script is trying to be sympathetic to everybody except the authorities who and the authorities are everybody who's trying to make things worse. 
Yeah, yeah. That's her whole thing, but we don't we don't get the Tuesday speech until a little bit later. Yeah. We uh we catch up to Will again who's gone to go see his brother Danny who is Jake Gyllenhaal. Surprise, he's white, Will's black. Oh, and this this actually comes up a bit because uh he's an adopted brother, so like people will call him a fake brother, which really triggers Danny because for all his faults, Danny does genuinely love Will and Will does genuinely love his brother. He's extremely loyal. Yeah. And yeah, like they're talking about how, uh, you know, they're kind of reminiscing. They're looking at uh, photos of like when they were kids and stuff. <laughs> and uh, and Will's like, hey, man, OK, so like the reason I'm here, you can tell me to F off. I but I really need money really bad um, for, for my wife's surgery. Like, I know I'm only coming. I only come to you when I need something. But like, look, let's just call it what it is. And Danny's like, hey, 231,000 is what it is. You want more than that? And, and this fucking MAGA looking, obviously a, a just bad a real guy. Chud. He, yeah. he's, he's just a total chud. Yeah. Like comes in. He's like, is this a guy? And uh, this guy is Mel Gibson. It's not my name. And Jill and I was like, well, well, it should be Mel Gibson. We're not going to use your actual name. Come on. Yeah. I'm like, come on. Are, are you stupid? We're, we're a criminal enterprise. Uh, you will be Mr. Pink. I don't want to be Mr. Pink. I don't want to be Mel Gibson. I don't like him. It's Braveheart. Come on, man. Braveheart's cool. And um, honestly, he really seems like a dude who'd be into Mel Gibson. He definitely does. Don't get too attached to this guy. No, don't get too attached to literally any of them except the the two main characters because none of them are going to last. <laughs> I, I've got it written in my notes as the van full of dead meats pulls up to the bank. Completely. It's like, well, you know what? It's a real good thing that you came here and asked me for money because I need you for one last job that I've been planning forever. And I've been planning this whole job around you. So it's really good that you coincidentally showed up at my house Five minutes before I pulled off this job that uh, I planned around you but didn't tell you about. Well, like, oh. he had some other guy who was who didn't show up, right? Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, there there was, like, a different driver that was unavailable or who had been picked up by the police or something. So oh, okay. He needed, him, he needed him to fill this position as a driver. And, of course, Will's like, yo, I'm not fucking doing a... a giant bank job man i just want a loan dude you're gonna get like 16 million bucks out of this what seriously i mean no 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 but then ultimately yes yeah i mean uh, he has no other option yeah uh and and of course jake lay or danny jake uh says do this for your family which i mean that's not really for your family because you know there's other ways to do it but also kind of you're kind of screwed. You're kind of screwed. It's, it, but it's are there other ways to do it? No, there aren't. But Danny's being manipulative. The cops but, have to shoot him, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So here's where we uh, cut to Cam and Scott having their, having their coffee. And Scott's like, yeah, well, I, I heard that you're the best paramedic, blah, blah, blah. Here's all your stats and stuff, your record. Uh you know, backstory about how you're a hero, but you don't care about your patients. And I take her side on this. 
Oh sure, yes. this guy's a twerp. He's a screw off. He's he's first day. It's it's like th- this feels like a special episode of Scrubs that just like doesn't belong here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, and and I understand where she's coming from because if you're doing that shit every day, you have to distance yourself from it, or it will fucking kill you. Right. It makes me think of uh, that Nicolas Cage movie, Bringing Out the Dead, which totally rules. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, and it's based on a novel by a dude who was a paramedic in New York, and <laughs> it was hellish. Uh, and it's sort of based on his own experiences. So like a lot of that stuff, it, you know, that that's sort of the raw craziness that you deal with. And obviously that's exactly the sort of stuff she's dealing with it, what, dealing with living in the Bavers. Mm-hmm. Because it's a really maximal place to live. Oh yeah, I mean every, of course, every single person that she has to uh, do an emergency response to has a freaking spike in their neck, or or a bomb in their chest, or is a dying cop moving in an ambulance at sixty miles an hour, being chased by other cops, being driven by crazy people. And she's not even a doctor. She she's a paramedic. She just like she's just supposed to keep them alive on the way to the hospital. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the key to her character. She's Dante and Clerks. Uh, she's not even supposed to be here today, right? It's like, come on, and <laughs> sign up for this. Yeah. And then we get to we cut to two other cops um, who I thought were going to be. Well, the one cop is actually super important in that the whole movie revolves around him. But I thought they were going to have a bigger role in this. I mean, they're they're sort of the flashpoint. They cause the problem. They cause they do cause the problem. They're the simple beat cops at the very bottom who stroll in and start the ball rolling for everything to go wrong. Yep. And here's how they're going to do it. Oh, I sure have a crush on that girl at the bank, but uh, I'm too scared to ask her up. Well, well, you know what Sean Connery says, losers lose and winners fuck the prom queen. <laughs> so so you're going right. to go to the bank and ask her out. And here's where they have the conversation. It's like, what's, what's that quote from? The Rock. No, oh. I've never seen it. No, he's, he says, oh, yeah, the actor. He was a wrestler first, oh, though. Oh, right, right. He, he's he, like he's completely oblivious of the movie The Rock. Uh, but it is weird to have a Michael Bay movie where he's quoting his own movies as movies that exist. Yeah, uh, it works, though. I mean. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. I'm just glad to have him not making a Transformers movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and it seems to be commenting on just how frickin' misogynist that line is because oh, yeah. following that line is what causes all the shit to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, partner cop and baby cop, that's what I call these two. Partner cop turns on the sirens and starts going to the bank. So yeah, here we've got our van full of uh, dead meats. We've got Mel Gibson, we got slimy nerd guy, we've got some other MAGA dude, we've got uh, loud talking driver guy. They they don't matter. They uh, they don't last long. They don't last long. They're they're getting ready for the job. Will of course is nervous because he didn't wake up thinking he was going to rob a bank today. And they're like, hey, is this new guy going to be able to handle it? And Jake's like, totally taking his side. Like, yo, he's seen more combat than all of you people combined. Yeah, I mean, he has. Yeah, he has. He is he's obviously a- the most capable person there. 
which he will prove repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they drive through the parkade, and this homeless guy just uh, crosses in front of him with a shopping cart. No big deal. He has an earpiece. So here's the thing. These guys who are communicating to each other about uh, about Danny and Will's robbery, I didn't recognize that they were cops at first. I thought they were like an opposing white supremacist gang because that's what they all look like. Right. Except, no, they, for, except for the black guy. Right. No, no. This is just like they had this like nailed down. Like they knew that there was a, a, a robbery that was going to happen and they sort of had this in there. It's just these guys screwed it up. Yeah. Yeah. So they're like because the homeless guy's radioing to the other guy in the car that the guy's here <laughs> and he sees uh, the baby cops pull up. He's like, oh, shit, it's. This has the potential to get real stupid. And uh, yeah, so these are our antagonists. They are the cops from some organization called SIS. They're the ones who will just blow everything up to catch these guys. Yeah, they're very money focused. They're supposed to uh, protect the bank's money and the insurance. And uh, and they're they're led by the biggest idiot of them all. Yeah, so when when the two cops get to the uh, they get to the bank, the one guy's like, "Hey, I got an idea. Why don't we get out and like go in all bad boys like?" And then he totally gets out to like the Michael Bay getting out of the cop car shot. Oh yeah, which uh, was hilarious when they did it in Hot Fuzz, and it's doubly hilarious here because nothing badass is happening. Yeah, and again, like it's it's interesting to see michael bay doing the self-referentiality stuff uh and and i think he's kind of nailing it honestly i I do think so like we'll get into boomer cop and fbi cop but like they they absolutely feel like a commentary on his earlier movies and characters Mm. oh yeah so here's where we first see boomer cop with his uh Probably like a football team sweatshirt, red hat. Mm. Not that red hat, but a red hat. Right. A tiny ass car and a giant ass dog. Huge dog. Gigantic dog. At this point, I still didn't realize that this guy was a cop and that these people were cops. Right. Like, I still thought they were like some rival gang hitting the bank robbery. Okay. It took me a long time before I realized that these were cops. Like, I, I, I even had them written down as, like, the Dead Meats are the MAGA squad, and then these are the other MAGA squad, who later become the MAGA cops. Hmm. So Baby Cop goes up to the bank, and Partner Cop is just going to wait outside. Uh, Baby Cop's like, hey, um, oh, wow, it's uh, closed here. Wow, that's weird it's like two in the afternoon and uh danny pretending to be the manager is like oh yeah we're just doing a money transfer in the back and it's security procedure you know come back in 20 minutes and be fine and it's like oh, well i really want to go in right now you see i'm on shift but i want to start a savings account and danny's like oh, fine sure whatever come in yeah he he's very insistent and it's stupid like th- this is one of the the big sticking points where like he is wasting this guy's time think like he still thinks that this is guy who works for the bank and like he is wasting this guy's time and he is wasting this clerk's time uh and it it is what causes all of this 
Oh, yes, for sure. Because uh, he comes in and he's like, doesn't notice that anything's weird here uh, or that the bank clerks are freaking terrified for their lives right now. And he's like, hey, uh, he goes to Danny's like, that girl there, what's her last name? What? What? Yeah, her last name. What's her last name? Uh, 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 Park. So he goes and he's like, um, excuse me. Well, you see, I, I come to this bank uh, often and, you know, I really uh, would, would re- really like it if you went on a date with me. And she's just like, what? Right now? Well, no, it doesn't have to be right now. And then he sees on her desk that her name tag says Kim Daniels or something like that. And Hall's like, I fucked up the name, didn't I? <laughs> and the cop goes to draw and then uh, Gyllenhaal pulls his gun on him and the other guys who are hiding behind posts just point their guns at him and he's all like, okay, so here's the deal. You're a cop. Your job is to save all these people's lives. So don't be an idiot and start shooting everything and just wave to your partner there and everything will be fine. And then you can go on your date and all that stuff. So th- this is the main thing with Hall is that like he's constantly giving out. He is, yes. he is providing a way that this could be over every single step of the way oh, uh, yeah. with ev- like... everything that happens with all of the police. And it's always to the police and it's always the police escalating it and making it worse. Yeah. And yeah, him but... having to react to it up until a point that it becomes unsustainable. Mm-hmm. So, like, at this point, it's very simple. Like, OK, you have... Uh, come in and abused your authority to come into the the bank in this situation, even though, yeah, I mean, like, if this were a real situation, he is, like, just abusing his authority by uh, barging into the bank and asking someone who is working, like, as an employee of a job. Yeah, don't do this, don't do this, this sucks. Especially if you're a cop. Not that any cop who would do this would ever listen to us, but, you know, don't do this. In uniform, yeah, uh, and, and like while they're working at a place that you're a customer, uh, just bad on every single level. Uh, and then he's in this situation, and he and or the partners still have to be heroes mm-hmm. and start shooting because shooting is is what makes someone a hero as as uh, shown by other michael bay films such as the rock and bad boys well yeah you never hear of a good guy with uh you know it's always a good guy with a gun not a good guy who's good at talking people down i don't hear of a lot of good guys with guns lately to be quite honest no but you hear about the myth all the time oh yeah good guys I mean, with I, guns. I, way, I hear of the myth. archetype yes like, but that's what you do to be a hero. You be the good guy with a gun. Meanwhile, outside, the uh, the armored car breaks down and partner cop actually helps get it running. And it's right around here that shit kind of starts hitting the fan. Uh, the partner cop notices that uh, Danny and Mel Gibson have got like these big backpacks that seem to be holding baby cop at gunpoint. Well, and, and like Mel Gibson, dude, is extremely sketchy. Like, oh, he is. He would set off your alarms. He's a mass shooting waiting to happen. He looks like a proud boy. He looks like he's yeah. in one of those militias. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean he, he's, he's part so of the obvious. Maga squad. Yeah. 
Although he doesn't look that different from the cops. That's no, a whole pointedly, other but that's that's because <laughs> the cops are the villains. And, like, this guy is obviously coded as being sucky, <laughs> like, very distinctly. But his similarity to the cops is not unintentional. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, it's right around here that I figured out that the other MAGA squad is cops. Mm. <laughs> it took me so long. The driver guy just charges forward trying to hit partner cop and crush him in between the uh, the freaking car and the truck, which is hilarious because the cop, you wouldn't be able to do that if the cop didn't get the car running. So, you know, another one, uh, cops ruin everything. But in this one, you know, he was trying to help. He's just trying. It's okay. Some people are just trying. Yeah. Uh, uh, but like that guy uh, is also uh, bad later. Uh, but yeah, and he fucking runs over one of his own dudes. Yeah, and uh, gruesomely, that guy got destroyed. Yeah, at this point, all I wrote down is it was a firefight. It's sort of Michael Bay doing heat. It's it's Michael Bay's heat. We we just have like a whole bunch, or you know, uh, the North Hollywood shootout, which they directly reference in the movie, I believe. Yeah, so at this point, uh, Jake, Will, and Baby Cop are going to the parkade. Uh, the MAGA squad is going out to do a shootout with the cops. And Jake's like, dude, what are you doing? Don't shoot cops. This is actually really, really stupid and bad. Uh, but, of course, Mel Gibson's not listening to him because Mel Gibson loves to shoot and kill things. Also, the, the, the thug named Mel Gibson likes to do that, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm so I'm so clever. And uh, Cam and Scott get the call to drive to where the firefights happening and like people are getting shot and killed and stuff. And Jake, Will and Baby Copper in the parkade. I somehow Gyllenhaal gets distracted for like half a second and Baby Cop punches him, which makes Will like shoot him immediately twice um this is important because i i didn't realize he had gotten shot twice until the second time i saw it but it comes up later he shoots him twice but the cop doesn't die and gyllenhaal's like uh shit uh that's real bad and will's like oh man i'm gonna save you i'm gonna save you and gyllenhaal's like dude what are you doing you know what this looks like man this is really really bad we got to get the fuck out of here we gotta go Right, so Will, uh, as a veteran, has a lot of combat training, so he's able to, uh, like, he, he does have uh, enough training that, like, he can theoretically save this guy if he were to stay with him. Yes. Um, yeah, but Jill and Hall's like, no, 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 we're not doing that. Uh, we gotta go now, or we're fucked. So they, they actually, like, exit the parkade, see that there's too many cops outside, and then go back inside. Here we've got uh, the camera just going freaking bonkers while the SWAT machine, or the SWAT SWAT team uh, surrounds the building. They get on the roof. They're like all over the place. The the camera and... in this movie is wild. Uh, obviously, lots of drone cameras in this, and wow, yeah. like uh, yeah. it, it, Michael Bay is totally free now. <laughs> he 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 is a. Uh, totally unconstrained his camera moves in pure 3d space and it constantly moves like you get all the parallax it moves in like the it 
like it moves and does shaky cam and like the emotional heart-wrenching scenes too it's gotta it gotta um but yeah this is filmed like how you would expect a spider-man movie to be filmed yeah, I, I feel like Michael Bay and Sam Raimi exist on a very similar timeline. Like, both of them are really, really active camera dudes. Uh, it's just that, like, Raimi progressively toned his down over time, whereas I feel like Michael Bay has been encouraged to go wilder and wilder. And this one is, like, his most freestyle ever. Mm-hmm. Partner cop finds baby cop uh, bleeding out in the parkade. He calls it in so that the ambulance knows where to go. And uh, Will and, and Jake are arguing about like, okay, we got to shoot our way out. What? Don't tell me this is the plan. Please tell me this is not the plan. I don't have a better plan. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. And then, so the ambulance reaches baby cop and another important thing, partner cop, sets down baby cop's gun on the stretcher just before they they lift to baby cop onto the stretcher mm. so there is a gun underneath him the whole time and yeah and here, it takes a really long time to to uh be delivered here uh the partner cop i guess he goes away i don't i don't know why uh, after they get him onto the ambulance and then uh Jake and Will hijack the ambulance punch out like Take out Scott, like, Grand Theft Auto style, punch him out, and uh, drive in. Will puts on the jacket. He's like, yo, yo, move. I'm an ambulance. I got to get to uh, L.A. hospital. I got an officer down here. And, and Jake's and they hiding go in the inside. Back. Yeah, the cops, uh, like, they, they try to get through the blockade. The cops check the back of the ambulance. They see Cam and baby cop, and it's like, look, he's I got to get him to a hospital. He's going to die. And they're like, all right, all right, let him through. There's a cop in there. Uh, let's just let him go. And they get away. They're clear. Well, like, it's a very tense sequence when they're, like, all getting in there. Like, he has the gun on both of them, and, <clears throat> like, he's hidden in the back there. He's sort of introduced himself as a dangerous person with a gun. Uh, yeah. And there's, like, it's, again, a moment where... The police presence, the police having to stop them and make sure that the person getting out is one of theirs, even at the risk of that person dying uh, to make them wait and check. Like, that's that's a specific thing that's mentioned that she's like, this person is dying and I am in a hurry and it, it is one of your own. But like just on the off chance, it isn't one of their own. They're they're willing to potentially sacrifice them. What if it's one of the robbers? We, we exactly. want to make sure he dies. Yeah, that that's sort of the point. That's, and that's basically it, yeah. Very like, much repeated later. Uh, and, and like, yeah, a, a very key point. Uh, a, 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 another, like, stress point that is specifically caused by the presence of police. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it uh, seems like Will and Jake get away in their ambulance, and they're just driving to their getaway car. They're like, oh, yeah, well, as soon as we get there, I'm going to call 911, tell them where you are so that you can, you know, do your thing, and everyone will get away without dying. Uh, but it doesn't work because the partner cop finds Scott and learns that they, they hijacked the ambulance, which, of course, Scott relates to the boomer cop. Now they're looking for that ambulance. Yeah. And yeah, they stop in an alley, and Will's like, uh, first of all, how do they track the ambulance? And and Cam's like, oh, satellite. So he t- tosses the satellite thing off onto the road. 
He just finds mm. it immediately. And then he's like, uh, there's helicopters watching us. Why are there helicopters watching us? And Cam fire extinguishers them, which ends up doing nothing. Yeah, but she gives it a shot. She gave, she, she gave it a shot. Uh, she flees, apparent, hopefully to get help. And Jake's like, yo, really, seriously, I don't have time for this. You don't have time for this. Get back in here and save this guy's life so that we aren't at so that we don't have murder one in our rap sheet. Right. She's not all that concerned for quite a while in in terms of dealing with the cop. She's more concerned with getting away for a significant amount of time uh, because well, like as, as she says, it is the job. And like yeah. she is there to save him. But like as soon as she's at risk, she is out of there. Which is totally understandable. <laughs> it is, but she she comes around quicker than that because it's right well, yeah. around here. She hears the heart machine going, beep, and I think like in the end that is what makes her like realize, okay, I can't just leave yeah. this cop to die. Yeah. So so she does get back in, of course, and decides, yeah, she's going to save the cop's life. And Danny's like, man, my sweater was cashmere. You ruined it with your fire extinguisher, even though it's going to be just perfectly fine in the next scene. We go, oh, yeah, we cut to our FBI cop who's in couples therapy with his husband. And it's like, well, you care about his bad guys. And I swear I've seen this exact same scene in like five other movies. Sure. It, it, it is kind of like how you have a cop character uh, who's gay in an action movie <laughs> or like how you introduce a hero character and like have that be the only reference to their sexuality ever. But Hey, you know, we can say that we have a gay character painted in a positive light. Hey, it's more positive than the hairdresser in the rock. That's true. He, and he is the least dumb of the cops. He is. And he has a personal history with Danny. Of course. Because um, you always like to gotta. Th- you gotta. I like to think they dated. Uh, yeah, they totally made out. Okay. Uh, and, and like, it, again, to the, the, the Wagnerian nature, the, the like, you know, uh, Michael Bay's favorite movie, he's on record as West Side Story. Like, he, he likes the big, grand, sweeping musical, and, and he likes his characters to be really broad. <laughs> so, like... You can't look for a lot of nuance because it's intentionally not there. Oh, yeah. There, there's no nuance anywhere in here. It's true. So he gets a call and he has to leave therapy because there's a bank robber, even though that's why they're in the therapy, because all he cares about is bank robbers. But there's a big bank robbery and it's his guy. It's, it's the his one guy. one that got it's... away. <laughs> You only care about Danny Shark. <laughs> yeah, he robbed like 38 banks in two years or some ridiculous statistic like that. He's Moriarty and he's never, <laughs> ever killed someone because he is a meticulous planner and he uh, doesn't like to hurt people. And and this is in contrast to his father or their father, who their father, who a notorious, bad. Yeah, no, notorious uh, bad guy. Um who is definitely in with the cartels. Yeah. Uh, which uh, kind of coincidentally puts Danny in with the cartels, but we don't know that yet. Yeah. 
so we've got uh, Boomer Cop, who's all like, okay, well, we need to put everything on lockdown. And uh, he meets the the girl who, the tech girl. Right, who you thought, uh, who we both recognized as being very similar to Maybe. Uh, From uh, uh, Alias Development. Yeah, but that's... Yeah. But no, it's not her. I don't know who she is. No, she she reminds me a lot of her and Ida Turturro as well. Uh, but I, yeah, I I don't know the the name of this actress, but it's it's not not maybe. Right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's got like this whole like friggin' monitor set up in the back of this truck, and she, she's you know she's the tech one. She has all the radars and all the satellites, and she tracks everyone. And she's the guy in the chair. Yeah. Guy in the chair. Yeah. So uh, there's. So there's more chasing. Uh, cops chase the ambulance through an empty lot. They, you know, they blow up a bunch of cop cars. Uh, some cops go flying off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> chaos explosions. Bayhem. Yeah, chaos explosions. Danny has to use a defib- defibrillator on baby cop. How do I get it to work? Is it the, the yellow button? It's, there's only one yellow button. It's got a squiggly line. Yeah, that's the button. Just push the button. I don't know, man. It looks like an Atari. And uh, Will's Will mentions this plan called a Texas Switch, where like you'd put your car that they did that the Taliban would do, where like you go into a tunnel and then five identical cars come out. It is like, in. Uh, I I think this is in Too Fast, Too Furious. Probably. <laughs> I, I I believe this is the actual concluding plan of Too Fast, Too Furious when I watched it a few months back. Well, it's kind of the concluding plan here because it takes us so long oh, yeah. to get to this plan uh, being fulfilled that is kind of the climax of the movie that we're setting up in the first uh, half hour or so. Yeah, they're, they're telling you all of this, like they're setting everything up and then you just have Bayhem in between. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so here Danny calls Pappy his uh, cartel hookup. And he's bad like, guy. Uh, a real bad guy. And he's like, uh, yo, I'll give you this money to pay off this other debt if you help me with this cop thing. It's like, oh, I can't, Daddy. I'm watching a really fun car chase on TV with an ambulance. Yeah, that's me. Okay, I guess I'll uh, do whatever. Right. And then (laughs) then Danny calls uh, this car paint guy. This guy, like, who clearly doesn't really know what he's doing so much. And he... I, I feel like he's been specifically chosen because he has no connection to anyone or anything. And yeah. just like, we'll, we'll be able to like be picked up for this and just get away because he is blameless. And so, <laughs> so obviously blameless. Yeah, he, he's like, he's like, okay, I need you to be here with at this place at this time with this paint. It's like, okay, do you want me to bring the flamingos no, the flamingos are for a different birthday party. This is like two separate events that don't have anything to do with each other. And because, you know, I guess he was planning some other thing with flamingos. I get the feeling this guy's kind of like Danny's personal assistant who somehow also doesn't know what's up. I think he's just some dude he knows who is just like an easy person to call uh, for just bullshit. Just like someone to have in your back pocket who just is really dim but like will do what needs to be done if you tell them enough times that it has to be done 
and give him very clear instructions. Extremely clear instructions. Because he um, has to repeat the thing about the flamingos like a bunch of times. Every time he talks about yeah, he still ends up bringing the flamingos. Okay, I got the paint, yeah. I got the flamingos, and he still fucks up. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the thing, is that everything that we set up at the start, and there's like a whole bunch of threads that we set up at the start, they're all constantly running through the whole movie. And mm-hmm. it's just, they sort of recur their their uh, riffs on a theme all the way through. <laughs> yep. Oh, but now it looks like uh, Baby Cop is losing too much blood, so he needs a blood transfusion. Good thing Will is a universal donor. Mm-hmm. So so they, they set up like an IV while he's driving so that uh, he can donate blood to the cop while he's driving. And Jake's like, come on, he needs some of that blood too, you know? The whole time it's like Jake really wants her to save the cop, but he really doesn't want to help do it, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, he he doesn't. <laughs> he, he he hates this guy. It sucks that he's gotten him into this situation because this guy is literally the cause of all their problems. That's true. That's and true. he's just sitting there in the back dying like an asshole. And if he fucking dies, it's going to cause so much more problems for everybody. Even though he's only... done absolutely nothing of purpose to anyone ever and is just the most worthless asshole in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. Like, even the dying cop never makes the situation better. Yeah, he like does maybe, not help. Just arguably at the very end, because he was saved, he uh, is able to absolve someone. But, like, that's the only thing he does ever. Uh, and it, it is sort of key to, like... I, I get Jake Gyllenhaal's character. Like, he is extremely amplified by the end, but it's a result of just every single encounter he has with the police where they amplify things first, and he just has to keep ratcheting it up until it is impossible to ratchet up further. You know, in other countries, police practice de-escalation. It's true. There is absolute lack of de-escalation in this. In fact... He is like it is Jake Gyllenhaal who is constantly in every scene trying to de-escalate things, and it gets rejected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even even the FBI cop is like, well, no, you have to de-escalate things my way. Yeah, and and sort of that that's kind of the point I take from it all is that like, yeah, he gets absurd at the end. He becomes a crazy Michael Bay insane villain at the very end. But we see him as a completely reasonable man at the beginning who has never harmed anyone despite a career of crime that is like nefarious like Moriarty. Mm. And well, and I feel yeah. that sort of the parable of this is him encountering police at every corner and them making it worse and making it worse and making it worse and escalating the issue until he has to become that type of villain. Well, yeah, he's basically saying to them, it's like, oh, my God. They think I won't kill him. I, I have to kill someone. He's like, I don't want do to, I... but they think I won't. He he's like, do I have to become the Joker? It seems like I'm going to have to become the Joker. Yeah, and it. Well, actually, yeah. This this is. If he made it through the end, this would be his villain origin story. Yeah, as you can see him like becoming the Joker in real time. Oh, by the way, the, his uh, gang of bank robbers, not a single one of them survived. No, they all got iced. They were massacred. Yeah. So, yeah, 
so the the cop squad is chasing after the ambulance partner cop steals a cop car because uh, it's like i'm gonna go get my partner he's mine and i'm loyal to him even and he's just a rookie and this is all my fault because i made him go and ask out that girl so i have a personal stake in this and if this were another michael bay movie i'd be the hero so i gotta break the law and be uh and and steal the the like lead guy's dog as it turns out yeah (laughs) although this is the by accident by accident, but this is the only time the lead guy de-escalates is because his dog is in the crossfire. That's right. Fuck yeah. anyone else, but do not touch the dog. Very much fuck anyone else, yeah. Very much fuck anyone else. He, he says he doesn't want to fuck anyone else, but, you know, he, he doesn't really care. No, he truly doesn't. Uh, he is a money-focused individual because, like, he is here for securities. He is, like there to get the bank's money back first mm-hmm. and foremost yeah the boomer like, cop sorry go sorry ahead. i i i would liken him to and and most of the police in this to be like uh the the bank security guys from last week's sartana they're they're the security crew they're the hordes and oh uniform. my god they totally are they, totally they got the are. mini sh- they got the mini guns they got tons of ammunition they're like heavily prepared but be like our client yeah be our client uh we have the quote, best un- murderers in the west <laughs> uh, uh yeah los angeles uh to serve and protect in quotes like it's <laughs> satirical right <laughs> yeah see i know that like actual cop cars have that in quotation marks and it feels like it feels it just <laughs> You guys, you got to be doing this on purpose. Like a New York Post headline? To serve and protect? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A boomer cop radios the ambulance uh, somehow. Oh, I, I guess must have been on the baby cop's walkie-talkie, probably. I don't really know how they are always able to have open communications with each other. I don't really get that. Well, they but keep they finding are. different ways because it, I think at first they're just able to contact them through the ambulance and then they turn that off. Oh, yeah. Like the they, they break radio. it and then they manage to get through like on a walkie talkie and then eventually they get rid of that as well. They get them on their own phone eventually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Boomer Cop is like, like, hey, you got to stop um, and, you know, just trying to talk him down but not really and Hall's like we don't stop and, and, and then just click and boomer cop's like well neither do we we don't stop seems to be like some kind of mantra he has going back to childhood like it, it seems to be their thing yeah but it's not really explored no it's not heavily established because this is an extremely self-contained movie it doesn't have a ton of flashbacks we only get those like gauzy children playing in the grass ones yeah so uh so partner cop is like gaining on the ambulance so jake goes out to the back and is like and will's like i can't shake this guy so jake goes to shoot him and here cam tackles him and and Jake's like, okay, you're the one who's going to hurt somebody here, not me who's going to shoot at a cop. Um, just just go back, stay in your lane. I mean, I'm surprised she doesn't. Mm, yeah. 
I, I would say it's the first most out out of character thing she's done up to this point. Yeah. So the shot like spooks uh, part. Well, doesn't spook Partner Cop, but it does get the dog to wake up. And Partner Cop's like on the radio, like, "Yo, what's this fucking dog doing here?" And Boomer Cop's like, "What?" My dog? You brought my dog on a police chase? That's it. All right, call everything off. We're, uh, hey, Danny, we're going to negotiate now because my dog is in the crossfire. Never mind all the other shit, but we're going to give you some space and act like this is all part of my plan. So here's where the FBI guy meets the boomer cop and explains the backstory about how we used to be friends in the same criminology class. <laughs> and Boomer's like, uh, what, do you? Do they bring in criminals for you to study? And it's like, no, uh, their dad sent him to the class to, like, get a feel for how we think. Oh, that's actually kind of uh, smart and serious. Yeah, well, it's it's like the thing in uh, The Wire where you see Stringer Bell going to all of those business courses. Yeah, motherfucker, you taking you taking minutes for our secret criminal organization meeting? <laughs> Oh, that's a great bit. Uh, oh, great character. Great show. Watch The Wire if you haven't watched The Wire. It has really Uh Jim yeah. True Frost, Buzz. <laughs> yeah, um, really, though, like everyone says it's so good. It's not overrated. It is that good. It's great. Uh, yeah, so back to the back to Dying Cop. Cam figures she's got it, figures out that there's another bullet in there and that she's got to take it out. Or he will die. And it's like, well, I can't take it out. I'm an EMT. I'm not a surgeon. And Jake's like, well, fucking call somebody. And takes her phone and starts going down the list of doctors. It's like, hey, why don't you call your husband slash boyfriend doctor? I don't think it's husband at all. I like it's it's I, you know it's it's definitely it's definitely like not husband boyfriend. I don't think it's even ex boyfriend. It was like a one time thing. Well, that's that's the impression it's, it's I get. It's hard to say. Um, she mentioned having a boyfriend to Scott earlier, but that could have also just been a lie to get Scott off the tail. The guy exists, but they don't seem to be together right now. No. Uh, in fact, they're definitely not because he picks up the phone and is like, hey, I haven't talked to you in six months. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I need you to walk me through the surgery. Uh, No. You're an EMT. I'm not doing this. Yeah, well, I'm a hostage. <gasps> You're the ambulance girl. And they they set up like this whole elaborate uh, video conference with like another doctor who's out golfing. Yeah, like like the the expert at this kind of thing. So yeah, they've got like this whole FaceTime thing set up, uh, hooked up to the ambulance computers. Will and Danny switch places so that Danny's driving because Will has combat triage experience so he can help out and uh, yeah there's like this whole thing where they're operating on him he wakes up halfway through so will's gotta like knock him out because they don't have anesthetic so he just punches, punches him. him out it, it feels like a really advanced level of uh oh what's that <laughs> wii game where you you play as a doctor oh god i don't know um like surgeon simulator or something <laughs> it, maybe not that one but no, it, it it was like it, it's it's kind of like a Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney, but it's uh, oh, uh, it's like Trauma Center. Trauma Center, yeah. I, I never. Trauma Center. Yeah, I never really, uh, I never really saw that one or 
Oh, I played it. It's very heightened. Uh, there, there is a scene where the, the, the one that I could not get past is where you're holding a flashlight with one hand and you have to uh, disarm a bomb, I think, uh, in someone or I don't remember. There, there's Ooh, a part Joker where like bomb. there's a, a motorcycle crash and you're you have a, a you're holding a flashlight. It's like by the side of the road in the rain at night and like it's. It, it, it gets that kind of heightened. So yeah, this you know, in a speeding okay, ambulance so during like, a police chase. You know, this, it's Cam's Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. This um, like this cop, it's the worst day of Cam's life, so it has to turn her around ultimately. Right. <laughs> it's not just Tuesday for her. This no, time. it isn't. So while they're operating, the FBI guy calls Danny and is like, "Hey, Danny, we're friends. You know." Uh, I got a feeling you're going to be having a whole lot of spare time. And Danny's like, yeah, because I'll be in Cancun. Ha! And Don't you also, remember that off. one magical night? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but. But, yeah, they, they get the cops to slow down so that uh, so the ambulance can slow down so that they can operate. Oh, and yeah. It's an extremely perilous operation and it doesn't go right. It doesn't go <laughs> right. It's like, well, if the spleen ruptures. Uh, you have 60 seconds until it dies or until he dies. So uh, they're about they're doing it. It's like, I got the bullet out. I got the bullet out. <laughs> Just blood fountain. It explodes everywhere. And it's like, oh, the spleen ruptured. We've got. And then the the, the signal cuts out instantly. Yeah. Like at the exact same time, the, the battery runs out on her phone and everything goes down. Yeah, everything goes down. Uh, so she's got to clamp. She's got to clamp it down so that he doesn't keep bleeding and she uses her hairpin which or, or her hair clamp mm -hmm. and uh as far as i know that hair clamp is still inside him at the end of the movie Presumably, although they, well, they like, get him they do they, get him he, into the hospital that's the point yeah it works yeah so, uh yeah yeah so the battery dies but they saved him this time uh and we cut to the cartel preparing for the operation that danny mentioned like 45 minutes ago but they're doing a little something extra the cartel special uh, we see them mounting a minigun in a car it looks like they're preparing for mad max to happen yeah like, like they have like it, it's like a, a giant dune buggy that is remote controlled it has a huge chain gun on it yep it has like a dummy in the driver's seat uh, they are loading the other ambulances with explosives and like, and in the back of the ambulance, Will basically says to Cam, he's like, you know what? I'm going to get you out of this. And they do a little bit of bonding. Uh, cause I guess he mentions his wife and then she, she's like, does your wife know you rob banks? And he doesn't answer. So yeah, after the signal cut out, uh, the boomer is talking to the doctors and is like, well, the signal cut out when the spleen ruptured, so, you know, he pretty much doesn't have a chance. Right, and, and they have no way to contact them now because they have cut off a couple of the avenues of, uh, uh, of communication. So they decide since their guy is dead, uh, they don't give a shit about the paramedic and they're just going to rain hell on them until everyone's dead. Yeah, they, they set up all their snipers. It's like just, all right, guys, do what you do best and fucking murder. The FBI guy's like, well, hold on, the paramedic's still in there. Uh, oh, shit, I know. What's the, what's baby cop's phone number? So she t 
text. So he te- he calls her on the baby cop's phone, and is like, "All right, don't move, uh, don't do anything, just hide under the stretcher because snipers are going to light the ambulance up." And she's all like, uh, "Well, yo, what about the cop? What do you mean, what about the cop? Is he still alive? Yeah, he's still alive." And it's like, "Oh shit, everybody, don't shoot!" But of course, the cops want to shoot. Uh, he's like, "Well, we set this thing in motion already." Yeah, we can't just we we already deployed the snipers. We can't just not shoot. We couldn't so, possibly just de-escalate the situation. Yeah, so Cam actually warns, goes up to the front and warns uh, Will and Danny about the snipers. Just at and the right moment. Just, just at, at the, the right last moment. second. Yeah, so they they avoid getting shot, and then Danny gets in touch with the boomer cop on another radio that they have, and it's like. You guys, you don't think I'll do this. You actually don't think I'll shoot. Do I have to prove to you that I'll shoot? Because, like, it seems like you're not taking me seriously. I thought you were supposed to save lives. You guys really suck at this. And he's correct. And he is correct. So, uh, basically, the FBI guy is, like, talking to Will. He's like, all right, Will, like, there, there's a way you could do this. You can, you can you can, get out of this at least. You can walk away. And Danny's like, uh, no, dude, you took a hostage. It's 30 years. 30 years, Will. Shut up, Danny. And they're, like, going back and forth and having, like, this big fight. And eventually Danny convinces Will to stay on Team Danny. It's a real sibling fight. I, I think that's one of the things that I really love about this movie is that they do have kind of a good brother chemistry between them. They do. Um, they, they really do. Like to the end when it felt like they were like when it feels like they're going to go separate ways at the end and then don't, it's believable. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I, that's one of the things I really like is how they do that at the end. But uh, yeah. But yeah. So meanwhile, Cam is texting the FBI guys like uh, to let him know where they're going to the underpass of whatever. And the FBI guys like, OK, well, you got to work Will, you got to get him over to basically says, like, he's the weakest link. He's not going to kill anyone. Uh, Danny might, but he won't. So you got to work him. So she's like talking to him in the front, attaching another uh, blood transfusion thing. And Will's wife calls. And Will's Although, like, hey, like, honey. To, to his point, the FBI guy, he's completely wrong and backwards about all of it in that, like, he needs to talk to them about, like, stepping back and not killing everyone uh constantly whereas like uh you know jake gyllenhaal and the their group they are actively trying to get out of a situation without hurting anyone and like constantly being forced to prove that like if they have to they will yeah whereas it, 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 it's it, it like it just feels ironic to me that this guy is trying to like okay you have to work on this person who is the only person you can get out of it's like you're the person who can get people out of it by de-escalating things on your side with that guy who's been killing people all of this time but you gotta get the bank money you gotta get the Although money though but the money though the bu- thing the with the money, fingers though. means the money yeah. Although one thing I didn't mention is the actual bank manager way back in the beginning did not give a fuck about the money. He's like, OK, uh, if I give you all of this, you guys will let me live. Fucking yeah. Deal. Sure. Have it. It's insured. It's it's bank money. That's, it's a, that's the whole it's, point. It's, it doesn't matter. The bank still technically has money. They just have less cash. Yeah. 
Uh, so, it, and, and, and that's, I, I think also really key is that this whole thing is money. And then the, like everything with the police is causing the violence and destruction. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yes, the, the stealing of money was immoral, <laughs> but is the response proportionate in any way? Oh, no. no, not at all. Yeah. And, and it is the response that causes things to get worse and causes further reprisals and responses. Yeah, and they're not done doing that either. Of course not. It's a Michael Bay movie. It is the most maximal thing. Yeah, so uh, Will's wife calls and Will's like, hey, baby, guess what? I got the job, um, but I'm driving right now. Uh, let me see my kid. Uh, yeah, you're a kid. I love you, baby. I love you. You're going to get your surgery, the insurance. Oh, man, everything's going to be great. Just don't, don't don't watch the news, okay? Yeah, things are going totally perfect. Uh, don't worry. Uh, I, like, I I don't know what game he's trying to play with her in terms of trying to fool her. I really yeah, don't know did... how he's ever going to make her, like, I, at what point does he tell her? Because at some point she has to find out. Well, yeah, they're going like, to have to leave the country. His, what is his end game here? It's like, all right, baby, I just got $16 million from my forklift job, and we have to leave the country for my forklift job. Like, there, there's no realistic end game to uh, his his trying to deceive her on this. Uh, it's, uh, well, I don't know. I, I don't, I I think he just hasn't had time to come up with one because let's not forget he never intended to go on this job. Right. This, this movie does kind of feel like it occurs almost in real time or expanded time. Like it takes place over the course of two hours. It does feel (laughs) that way because literally the entire movie is the ambulance chase. The whole thing, like more so even than stingray. Yeah. And it is dynamic. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. We got a scene of the paint guy uh, meeting the cartel guys. And he's like, hey, man, I don't like this. It's it's like Grand Theft Auto up in here, man. I don't <laughs> I don't get it. Uh, I'm not I'm not I'm really got bad vibes here, man. It's really like GTA because he is acting as a pay and spray. <laughs> and he is every bit as good at it as the guy from Stingray is. It's very similar. There is kind of a little. uh uh, uh echo of it there actually he's worse because the stingray guy used the, the color that was requested that's true this guy just chose a different one i didn't have blue they both <laughs> wanted blue yeah. this is a remake of stingray <laughs> i can see michael bay liking stingray i could you know i think this needed more uh like a little bit more of the stingray vibe just like the cops uh, having their radiators blow into their motor and just going, wah, 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 wah. but, but no, they the cops are actual instead. murder machines and they explode. Yeah. So yeah, everything's going good with the cartel guys. So they take a little break to sing terribly, but you know, it's, it's a thing brothers do. They share their AirPods. They sing. You do that. Sailing. Sailing, uh, sailing by Christopher Cross. I don't know the way it goes of the song. I do. <laughs> uh, the Yacht Rock classic, the ultimate Yacht Rock classic. I, I think this is like one of my favorite moments in the movie. Just this bizarre grace note where 
uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's like, oh my god, I, I, uh, this is driving me crazy. I need to chill out. And he puts on Sailing by Christopher Cross, and like Will automatically knows that it's Sailing that he's using. To calm down. It's like, hey, is that Sailing? Can I get on, get in on that? <laughs> and and I love that it's like. It shows them singing to the music, and then it cuts back to Cam, and she just hears them singing, and it's terrible. Yeah, just takes me away to where I'm going. Ah, so here they drive into the L.A. River, and Boomer Cop's like, oh, I don't like this. Uh, they can't hide from us, but we can't hide from them in here. Well, it's not good when I can't do dirty tactics. Well, let's just scare him with a helicopter and buzz him. You know, I don't know. I got to do something stupid. He's got to keep doing things that are annoying and make things worse. That, that yeah. is his whole purpose in the movie is to uh, constantly escalate the situation and make things worse than they are. Oh, and, and to also do the typical, uh, oh, yeah, I hate young FBI cop guy thing. Right, which yeah. the FBI cop calls him out on, like, from the very beginning. Like, can we just not do the whole I'm a young, inexperienced cop and you fought a Vietnam thing? Because, yeah. like, we don't need that dynamic like, here. Vietnam? How old do you think I am? It's like, 45. I don't fucking know, man. This is old. Old. <laughs> Danny steps out of, the, out of the ambulance, and when the cops come to, the helicopters come to buzz him, he starts shooting, so then they're he gets back in and they're driving down and Danny's like hanging out the window, shooting at the cop copters. Uh, and then they finally get to the spot in the underpass where the cartel's setting up their shit. And he tells the paint guy like, Hey, you've got 45 seconds to paint this. And it's like, man, the stingray guy had 20 minutes and that was the best <laughs> he could do. Uh, I mean, this guy at least does seem to be a professional at it, and he is able to say, like, well, I mean, to do this properly, it's, it's going to take this length of time. It's going like, to take five hours. Yeah, and it's like, I don't have that time. We don't need it done properly. We just need it done. And it's like, neon green? What the hell? I told you blue. That's all I had. <laughs> but is he a professional? He's painting over the windshield. He's panicking. Like, he well, is clearly yeah. someone who is not in a good state. I think think he might be really stoned he could be he's always he's always telling dan he's like man you gotta chill man you're really stressing me out mm -hmm. but yeah he paints it like bright neon green and danny says to him it's like okay you get in that ambulance and you drive and if anyone asks you you don't know why you're in an ambulance who's gonna ask me that nobody's gonna ask Perfect. me that just go I mean, this is exactly why he's the perfect person for the job. <laughs> the thing is, he ends up executing that part pretty perfectly. Yeah. Because uh, he gets caught immediately by the cops. And he's like, man, I don't know, man. I just called an ambulance. and my, I, I took my medicine. The next thing I know, I'm driving. I don't know, man. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know how this happened. I was in a state. And it's like, shit, that's some, some dedication for someone who doesn't even know what the hell he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think it is an acting performance in terms of, like, obviously, in the, in the context of the movie it is. But, like, uh, he is just someone who is not super mentally well and is definitely doing a lot of drugs. And, it, like, 
he is just like dealing with the situation as it happens. <laughs> and like, this is exactly what he feels is happening that day to him. He's not making it up. He is just like, I don't know what's going on here. This is how everything has happened to me. In other words, he really does not know why he's in an ambulance. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's a good point. Good point. And, and I like them getting away in this hilariously bright, neon green painted ambulance that looks like so bad and like obviously just done oh yeah it's uh we we, like we don't have it driving through a car wash and washing all the paint off but we might as well but i i love that it's so blatant and so obvious but they overlook it because it's not it's not the exact thing they were already looking for yeah, so they're they're chasing all the uh, decoy ambulances, and he's like, ah, fuck, we got, we got fooled again. Womp, womp, womp. Dan, come it, Danny! Ah, oh, I hate that Danny Sharp. But the cartel's like, uh, yeah, let's. Why don't we escalate for once? And uh, the cartel special shows up. The the remote control car with the minigun. It fucking lights them all up. It freaking and like another guy like Pappy's son uh, has an ambulance with a with like rigged with explosives and he drives it straight into the police blockade. Um, he gets out. He gets out the back and is being chased by partner cop. Partner um, cop ices him. Partner cop tackles him. Um, accident on purposely shoots him. Uh, I don't know how. You could you could play it off as an accident, but you could also look at it and be like, hmm, I bet he meant to do that. But yeah. it's hard to say. It, it... Given uh, how things ultimately go, I would say he meant to do that. But uh, I, I like notably, this is a fucking massacre. Oh, yeah. Um, like because they're like trying to shoot the the so-called driver of the car, but it's just a dummy. And like uh, the, the, the minigun like goes back and forth. This is actually like cartel level crazy freaking violence. So many cops get killed, including Boomer Cop. Rip. Uh, he he doesn't even get like last words. He just dies. No, he just gets machine gunned. Uh, it's kind of great. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like I, I it's it's satisfying in a weird sort of way because like this guy has been uh, purely a, a source of. Uh, annoyance like it's it's like the the cop in con air who is nothing but a joke the whole time and then like they steal his car and drive it through a sign like fly (laughs) it through a sign because that guy yeah he's very similar to that guy because like again he's got the cool car and all of that shit uh and there's like nothing about him that is uh heroic and you just like him getting just totally gunned down and like they do not spend even a moment on it's like well fuck that guy <laughs> they 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 spend more time on um maybe's reaction to him dying than his death mm-hmm. and, and they don't spend a lot of time on that another one thing i i didn't mention earlier is like the whole time the boomer cops like hitting on uh the tech girl or, well, not hit, not hitting on her, but they're bantering, and he's always like, "Oh yeah, I've got these tactics. I'm real good at making people feel paranoid and feeling like they're getting caught. And I switch the cars so that it feels like they're coming at him from all sides, makes him paranoid. And and like Will and Jake aren't acknowledging his strategies at all. Like it's completely not working, and he's just 
inflating its own ego and he, that's all he does yeah it, it like it's exactly what i was saying he is just constantly escalating the situation to no purpose yeah um he's just making things worse and making things more dangerous at every turn because he's the special forces guy and you know he's got to prove that you need special forces for this shit or you won't get this much police budget next time i mean you will but you won't you want to get more expansion escalation yeah Yeah. (laughs) man imagine if you could just have snipers on every rooftop 24 7 and you didn't need to deploy them they were just already there Uh, um yeah so he's dead partner cop blows out roberto's brains which uh which happens on live tv uh because of course the the car chase is being covered because that's what you do in la and uh yeah the helicopter like films him getting shot and pappy's like that's my son yeah so now like his reaction is another one of those things that like is extremely absurd in that like he suddenly blames them for him dying on a job that they asked him to participate in and like you escalated this a lot more than i had any intention of you doing like this is still your doing oh yeah for sure like like to note jake uh gyllenhaal did not ask for the minigun car he he just was like just just give me five ambulances we'll drive away and then that'll be that no we're gonna kill things like it, it is another situation where like he is this guy who is trying to get out of a situation that on every side people are just making it worse yeah he's surrounded by idiots yeah and uh, he he is surrounded by violence and violent people who want to make things more violent who just like constantly want things to be more violent yeah Uh, and, and like it's the problem of a lot of the people who are on his squad it was like that uh his mel gibson guy at the start too <laughs> yeah mel, mel gibson was all like yeah i want to shoot things and go home and punch my wife yeah um yeah so the ambulance drives up to uh poppy hq because you know jake's gotta pay for, jake's gotta pay him for the diversion slash massacre mm-hmm. which he doesn't I, I don't think they know about yet i kind of feel like they don't actually because they were long gone when that uh when that minigun car showed up yeah and and he didn't ask for it so yeah they they wouldn't know about that but like when they get there they notice immediately that the vibes are real bad yeah and and like the guy says to him is like sad day and jake's like uh sad day but we won roberto died oh that's gonna turn out bad for me he's like oh that's that's a problem (laughs) <laughs> that's a real big problem so he gets to poppy's office he's like hey uh real well, I, sorry i i would say notably uh they they talk to the paramedic and they're like be real careful here and like oh yeah that's right yeah will warns her is like hey whatever happens do not get out of the ambulance mm-hmm. and, and as they go to meet poppy baby cop wakes up and says to cam like was your hand in my stomach and she just looks at him like smiles like yeah way in mm-hmm. and here's where baby cop you know could make the situation better but doesn't uh because he finds the gun that's underneath him and is like trying to 
hold it to be ready to shoot, but you know, he's, he's been through hell. So his spleed exploded earlier. We saw it. Yeah, we saw it. And there is a hair clip in his stomach right now. He's not shooting anybody. Uh, back to Pappy's office. Pappy's like, hey, well, you know, eight million's nice, but you can't put a price on my child who died doing your job. And I was like, no, your child kind of died doing some extra shit that I didn't ask you for. But, uh, you know, yeah, just be it, professional. It does seem extremely unreasonable, but I guess that's also the way of uh, it's it's the same on both sides. In this case, it's like he is a reflection of the boomer cop on the the, the other side. Yeah, he's like, I'm a cartel. What am I going to do? Not be violent? Yeah. Uh, speaking of being violent, uh, we can make this all we can make this all better if. You give me the $8 million and leave the paramedic and the dying cop. And Jake's like, yeah, okay, sure. Sweet, done. Let's do it. And Will's like, uh, no, I'm not leaving him. And they get into this big fight. He's like, he's like, man, I can't leave him. I can't do it. And it's like, oh, man, I wish I could be as good as you, but I'm not. So are you sure that's your choice? Yeah, it's my choice. I'm not leaving him. And the gang members all like cock their guns and stuff. And Pappy's like, oh, strong choice. And Here's the part, because, um, like, you see, I didn't catch it the first time, but you actually see Jake go through, like, a series of emotions here and, like, figuring out in real time what he's going to do. And, like, how he's going to accomplish what he needs to do. Yeah, so, he, like, just before they go to Ice Will, he's like, man, I, I really wish I could be like you, but I can't. Um, some days... I, I just wish we could be together, but you know, you want to go, I want to go left and you want to go right. But uh, just, just this once go left, go left, go left. And then will like gets the signal and then he goes left and then they freaking use their guns and massacre the gang. Well, they, they both do. Uh, they each do a pan uh, yeah. and, and uh, like gun down everyone in the semicircle to either side of them. Mm hmm. A very bad boys kind of move. Yeah, yeah, a very, a very Michael Bay move. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then like, and then Danny says to him, "Is like fake brother," because at some point Poppy called him. Is like, "Oh, don't worry about your fake brother." Danny's like, "He's my real brother." Bam, bam. Mm-hmm. So now they've knocked over a cartel. They're really, really, really on the run too. Yeah, but you know the solution is if you just kill every single person in that cartel, you'll be fine. Right. I mean, they did kill the head of the cartel. I don't know. Uh, I don't think. I don't know. I feel like I don't feel like he's the head of the cartel. I feel like there's someone above him and then someone above that guy. And I think it's just going to get worse. Well, they're planning on leaving the country anyways. That's the whole point of this. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So they go back to the ambulance and Cam shoots uh, Will without seeing who it is. And she's like, oh, my God, I thought you were just some gang member. So, yeah, she pulls Will back into the back of the ambulance. And and Jake's like, who shot him? Who shot him? And she's like, I uh, don't know. And, uh, yeah, they, they escape in the ambulance. And Will's, like, dying on the bench. He's like, give the money to my wife, please. And, and he, like, puts uh, some of it is. Uh, put into one of the uh, crash bags for the the ambulance. 
yeah. One of the big bundles of bills is kind of like stuffed in there for later. So now, finally, Jake is actually driving to the hospital because now it's his brother who's dying. Uh, meanwhile, the FBI guy is like, come on. All right, cops, pull back, pull back. Why aren't the cops pulling back? And the girl's like, well, because they're not going to listen to you because they a whole bunch of cops died and they have to escalate things in his honor. Yeah. Honor him the only way you know how by making things worse. They got to honor him the only way he knew how. The only way he knew how. They do drive to the hospital. Uh, SWAT surrounds the ambulance. And Danny does this whole thing. He's like, yeah, I'm going to shoot the girl. Uh, the snipers are all there. It's this whole tense thing. And Danny finds the cop gun and is like, hey, this is what shot Will. And he like looks at the cop and is like, you shot Will, didn't you? Didn't you? And Cam's like, no, I did it. Bullshit, you didn't do it. It was the cop guy did it, who's barely alive. He did it. And, he, and then he just looks at her. He's like, you were both supposed to be dead. And here he's just broken now. He's got nothing. No way he's getting out of it. And he knows that. Yeah, he, he has been forced into a completely unwinnable situation. And the only way he can respond is violence because he has been forced there by violence. Yeah, he, he holds the gun on Cam. Uh, everyone is pointing the guns at at him and he's like my brother's in there man my brother is a good man my brother's a good man and we gotta save my brother he's a good man and he's like but i'm not and then he goes to shoot her and will shoots him uh in the back with uh, danny's gun because danny was holding the cop gun at cam mm-hmm. and then all hell kind of breaks loose all the cops go in they take will they take danny they've just got him lying on the floor cam walks away well i i would say not lying on the floor i would say very pointedly they are lying face down cuffed on concrete hot asphalt and and i would say that that is extremely pointed and very specifically referring to uh, a lot of incidences uh in in uh the past four years or six years or ten years you know 20 years 30 years when did the right thing come out uh that's uh 89 something yeah yeah so i like i i think that that's extremely pointed and an important thing to make because then you also see a whole lot of cops standing around watching them dying and not bothering to even try to find any care for them yeah they're just like it is it's it's a reflection of a system that is punitive rather than rehabilitative. Really rehabilitative. Yeah. Partner cop even says to Cam, like, "Yo, we'll we'll get to them. Don't worry, we'll we'll bring them into the hospital when we feel like it." Basically, and yeah. Cam's like, "Fuck this, I got a job to do." Uh, yeah, so she basically helps Will to uh, Cam does that is helps Will to the hospital where he gets into a room and gets cared for. Danny dies. Yeah. Uh, all the cops are watching. Not a single cop is helping. Not a single one of them is helping nope, with anything. Not ever. They're just sitting there. Well, with yeah. Their I, guns. I, I think this is what, re- it, like, again, it's it's a Michael Bay uh, doing a, a, a sledgehammer of a point, but like, the cops escalated things through the whole purpose and or through the through the whole trajectory of the film. They never. Uh, uh, allowed things to cool off at any point. There was never a point where they did anything good. 
and then Except at the for end, when the dog was in the crossfire, they backed off a little bit. Yeah, I guess, and for for selfish reasons. And, yes, for uh, selfish reasons. Well, to and save at the, the dog, dog's innocent. His owner's save, bad. To save his big ridiculous dog. Yeah. Uh, but like, and here at the end, they're just like pointedly refusing to help in a situation that they created. Yes. Help things? No, we we shoot things. We're, we're holding guns, not help sticks. Cam gives the the money to the wife. Uh, Will is recovering in a hospital room, and so is Baby Cop. And the FBI guy is like, "Who shot you?" And he's got a picture of uh, Danny and Will. And the cop points at Will is like, "That guy saved my life." And then. Cam learns a valuable lesson and goes to check on the little girl with a spike in her chest from the beginning. You know, the when, when he was pointing at him, I thought it was going to be that dark of a fucking ending. And it's like it was him. That it was like you know, such I, an, a strong I ACAB thought. movie at that point that it was like even this guy, even after he saved his life, he's like, yep, this is the guy who shot me. Fuck him. <laughs> I'm going to be I, honest. I thought so, too. Yeah, it, it was where I, I thought it was going to go. And he points it and it was like, wow, they're they're, they're going here. Uh, but he is the one who's like, he saved my life. Yeah. And then Cam learns to learns to care about other people and then does a heroic walk from away from the hospital. Yeah, because she is the real hero as a first she responder. Is, she is the hero. Like, yeah, she is the she's obviously. Yeah, she is obviously the most heroic person in this movie by far. Yeah, everyone else might they've got their reasons, but well some do, some don't, but they're they're all varying degrees of gray except for her. Yeah. Her biggest mark against her is she doesn't check up on them after she drops them off to the hospital. That's like the only thing bad about her and she's a little mean to Scott, but he's kind of a dick. Right. And and I, I think Scott sucks, but like the, 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 he, he's like JD on scrubs, but like, uh, I, I love that the, the ultimate like arcs of this movie is that like, she is a hero because she does her job and she does it well and, uh, does not let emotions get in the way of it. And the police are the villains because their job is to obstruct and escalate and they do nothing to help people. To serve and protect, <laughs> to obstruct and escalate. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's that, that those do seem to be like the central theses of the movie. That like, yeah, paramedic good and cop bad. It's very simple, but like, it's a Michael Bay trajectory thing, you know? Oh like, yeah, just I mean, grand and epic. Well, it, it's it's character growth for Michael Bay too, because he has worshipped the cop in his movies before. Absolutely. Uh, and and yeah, I, I think it's really well executed. I think in terms of the action and just how much is going on, it's completely coherent. Like, yes, I understand what's happening. I totally get what's going on. I cannot say the same for like the first two Transformers movies where it just gave oh. me a headache. <laughs> well, there's like, like entire the storylines of that that could just be dropped. There's like this whole hacker thing that doesn't matter. Uh, I hate the like I I only ever saw the first two of those because the second Same. one was like one of the worst movies I'd ever seen, and I did not like the first one to begin with. And so it's been a really long time since I've seen a Michael Bay movie, and this was extremely refreshing. 
Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, it's still very, very much a Michael Bay movie, but... It's super maximal. It is the most Michael Bay movie. And I I think that's sort of what I love about it uh, is, is that like it totally leans into it, but it is more self-aware about it than you would expect. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's good. Uh, Yeah, I I think it's really uh, a a really good time. I've only watched it the one time. Uh, I, I do find that Michael Bay movies can sort of become, flimsy on rewatching i'd say they're the opposite of something like a coen brothers film the coen brothers get better every time i watch them they're they're the sort of movies that build on rewatches like the mm-hmm. the more i watch a coen brothers movie the funnier it gets somehow <laughs> I, I could definitely see that i mean I, the only one i've seen twice was hail caesar which i've actually mm. seen probably about three or four times and it does get funnier every time Because, like, there's a certain rhythm of comedy and, like, you get the repetition jokes and then the first time the joke appears, it's funnier. And then, like, it just constantly escalates. It's genius. And Serious Man is the perfect one for that, at at least in my (laughs) opinion. Uh, Anyway, uh, any last thoughts on Ambulance before we move on to our last part? Um, Yeah, healthcare professionals need to be paid more. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we even see, I didn't mention it, but... uh, because I didn't think about it till just now, like when Cam's having uh, coffee or whatever with Scott, she's like looking at her bank account and she's like, I'm broke. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It's like, you're doing all this hero shit. You should not be broke. It's not cool. It's a problem. Right. Not, exactly. Yeah. And and again, feels a lot like what we see in Bringing Out the Dead in 1998. Uh, so. The things have not improved in 25 years. Uh, I mean, that's that's in continuity with everything else wage wise, but yeah, uh, not great. Not great. Yeah. (laughs) Problematic. Uh, Okay, well, uh, let's move on to part three. And we're back for part three, where we're talking about other movies we've watched in the past week and decide what to watch next week. So for starters, we. Uh, got together on the weekend and we watched The Legend of the Stardust Brothers. I guess. Oh, yes, that was on our list uh, as one of the ago. potential picks. Uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago, uh, we ended up picking Exterminating Angel instead, which I think made for a much better episode than uh, this would have. But it was fun. I think it's a really fun movie. I really like the songs. I think they're super catchy. Like they're still mm-hmm. kind of stuck in my head. Uh, yeah, it's it's very similar to the Apple, but it does have its own uh, its own identity to it. It's got a very anime flavor, I think, or a very manga flavor to it. It's it's got uh, kind of absurdist characters like the, the those guards and the, the fan <laughs> club president and her malleability, how she can turn into a ball. Oh yeah, and how uh, the record producer is basically just the bad guy from Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Until he turns out to be the good guy. It's sort of, maybe, kind of. So, uh, He's kind of also the devil in Faust and a record label exec. Uh, which, yeah, you know, he's Mr. Boogaloo. He basically. He's Mr. basically Boogaloo. that exact same character who might arguably have good motivations, but not necessarily good deeds. Ah, uh, Mr. Boogaloo. One of my favorite characters ever. Uh, one of my favorite Halloween costumes I did ever. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, we have seven picks this week. 
All right. First up, we got Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two: Freddy's Revenge. Oh, is this uh, the gay one? This is the gay one, the heat wave one. Uh, it's an interesting redefinition of Freddy. Uh, and and like for me, I've kind of always it's weird with some of these slasher ones with Friday the 13th. It's the series that like I'm ride or die for. I've watched all of those movies, at least up to eight quite a bit after eight, they kind of fall off to be fair, but but that's eight. Like that's a solid eight movies. That's that's Uh, pretty far in for a series to go where it still stays pretty good. Yeah. uh, Halloween. I watch one and three Uh, nightmare on Elm street. I watch one and two. Sometimes three. I can kind of get into three. We'll talk about three a bit later. And you've seen three. Yeah, three. Three is the only one I've seen. I like three. Yeah. Uh, but what, what's interesting with this one is it's sort of a redefinition, because obviously in the first one, he's attacking kids in their dreams. Whereas here, he's physically manifesting through this one guy's emotional his his emotional turmoil over his awakening sexuality. Because right. like yeah, in, in his emotional moments, Freddie can manifest. You like it's not a dream thing. It's more of just like, uh, sort of like when he is, uh, in sort of a stressful emotional situation is when Freddie starts to manifest. Uh, and obviously it's very homoerotical in a ways or uh it's playing on that quite a bit i think it was the first instance of a final boy oh wow really and i i guess what one of the things that sort of sets nightmare on elm street apart from the other uh big slasher franchises is because of the nature of freddy being a child murderer (laughs) before he died yeah uh the the teen characters tend to be more likable like you you tend to be more on their side you can't make freddy the good guy so it's it's just a a situation where like you you kind of do have to like them uh and it's it's interesting in this one especially it does feel like it's constantly subverting tropes it's really unclear how much it's intending to do so (laughs) But it's it's a fascinating one. There's a part where Freddy runs around a pool party, and it's very silly. <laughs> All right. <I'll laughs> Next up is The Immoral Three. Uh, this is the sequel to Double Agent 73, you know, the, the Chesty oh, yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, Chesty did not come back, but Double Agent 73 supposedly is the character who is strangled to death at the beginning. And... <laughs> Her daughters, who she gave up at birth as orphans uh, because of her very dangerous life, yeah, uh, they're they're called to a will reading, and they're like, "Okay, you have one year to avenge her, and you'll each get a million dollars." Okay, <laughs> uh, pretty sweet deal, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, really. it's it's weird. It it's it's very soft core kind of thing because like there's so many sex scenes. All of the locations kind of feel like an erotic photo shoot is supposed to be happening there. Mm-hmm. It's like there, there's this one scene where, uh, and it's just completely extraneous to anything. It's like, a, a like a digression into a penthouse letter where, uh, the elevator breaks down and one of them is in the elevator with the dude. And like, they 
start having sex because they're trapped in the elevator for a bit and then you know it's comically opened before they can finish and they have to of course. get back together blah, blah, blah. but like the elevator has shag carpeting and wood paneling <laughs> and a chandelier oh my god yes like it's like all of the locations feel like that it's like is is this supposed to be a men's magazine shoot that like they're having the spy plot in it's very weird that's <laughs> right the one on. that I, I showed you the belt buckle that says oh shit Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Next up is Krull. Uh, This is a Star Wars ripoff, but like a sword and sorcery movie from the 80s. Okay, I've heard of this. It was one of the it was a very expensive flop. Like it cost a lot of money and it did not do well. It was heavily panned by critics. And it's weird because there's like this castle that's flying through space. Right. Which has these cyborg slayer bots, which are like piloted by screaming brain squids. Okay. And they're they're all controlled by this hive mind reality warping beast monster that's maybe omniscient. I don't know. And 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 so ultimately, like they they attack a wedding, and the young prince has to now king because uh, the their their fathers who were both killed in the attack. Uh, so and most of the kingdom, honestly, cause, you know, it, was, it was a slaughter. Uh, so he has to rescue his new princess or queen. Uh, so he has to get the power of the glaive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this this what you call it? This kind of spinny boomerang thing that does magical stuff. Uh, he he collects a bunch of of uh, minions. There's a cyclops who knows when he's going to die, so he's really dour. There's <laughs> A wizard who keeps accidentally turning himself into animals. Uh, it it was like this super expensive flop. It like the sets are incredible. Uh, the effects are extremely variable. The acting is variable. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally incoherent. Like so much lore, uh, and it's just shot in a way that constantly looks totally fake. It's so weird. <laughs> hmm. Uh, next up is Without Warning. This is a low budget monster invader, uh, low budget alien invasion flick. Okay. Uh, Jack Palance is basically our Arnold Schwarzenegger in this quasi. It's 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 very much a precursor to Predator. You've got this alien hunter who's got some super weapons and is just hunting people down in the woods around this small town. Right. Uh, starting with Cameron Mitchell, it's mostly some older character actors. You got Martin Landau as this really unstable Vietnam vet. Uh, Jack Palance is this other gut, big game hunter, and he's out to catch this big-headed alien. Uh, and the aliens thing is, it has flying jellyfish that it throws as discs, and it sticks to people, and they have like razor-sharp teeth that they eat away at people with. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, like, pretty... like jellyfish face huggers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. A lot of fun. Uh, all very slow moving. <laughs> <laughs> like it takes a really long time to get going, but it's a solid payoff. Okay. Cool. Uh, next up is the Oregonian. This is. So this, I'm just looking at the poster. This just <laughs> looks like it's got a half melted Kermit the Frog standing in a pool of blood. So this is it's it's a surrealist satire. It's it's like 
uh, a satire of low budget regional independent horror movies of like the 70s so like manos and uh messiah of evil and uh that sort of thing like weird low budget regional horror and this is a parody but it plays it really really straight faced um it's obviously heavily lynch influenced so it, it gets very uh it it does a lot of lynch tricks and you know oregon so it's it's in that uh, rainy pacific northwest atmosphere so there's this lady she's wandering away from a car accident she's all covered in blood she she like steps out and she sees that there are uh two people who it, it looks like a picnicking father and son have been hit and uh, are are horribly maimed in front of the car, and she's stumbling around looking for help, and she just keeps finding these completely unhelpful uh, weirdos. So there's like a creepy old lady in a red shawl who just cackles and like makes weird faces and right. starts, you know, following her around and appearing if out the behind couches. If you should die before you wake. <laughs> but she doesn't talk though. She she's oh. deadite esque except she never speaks. Uh, she just teleports, you know, she, she'll like jump out from behind a couch and <laughs> when later on stuff like that, there's a creepy master masturbating guy in a furry frog costume. <laughs> okay. Hence, I guess of. that must be the, the guy on the cover. Yeah. Uh, there's a really, there's a dude who has been drinking too much gasoline and is very sick. Who's driving around in a van. Um, any uh, gasoline is too much gasoline to drink, but uh, all right. Yeah, he's drinking a lot. Uh, okay. Uh, and there, there is a scene where he is peeing, and it doesn't. It, it, <laughs> you see how how much it's not going well for him, uh, and oh, it God. just goes on forever. And it's a, it's kind of like this insane. Scene. Like, uh, I'll I'll sort of spoil it. Uh, so, like, if you're worried about spoilers, uh, crawl forward. But like, he he's peeing and it's sort of clear and it goes to really yellow and then it's red and then it's black and then he just falls over and like and and then like it it goes on for like a solid minute or something and then she is like waiting in the van and she's been watching this and she's like she gets into the driver's seat and she's like just about to start it up and he just like pops up beside the window and is like i'm all right i guess i just had too much breakfast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right okay uh it's very strange it's very silly like it's it's quite absurdist but it doesn't uh play its hand to be as absurd very often it's like just once in a while it'll have a button like that where it's like <laughs> oh <laughs> i get it cool right on uh next up is the female executioner it's basically a french version of death wish much like last Last week or the week before, The Outsider was Jean-Paul Belmondo. This time it's oh, yeah. so a woman. Uh, and it's about pornographers. Or this <sighs> one pornographer. Porn. Not, not porn. Vice Squad. Uh, BDSM. I, I think it's non-consensual BDSM porn. Oh, okay. They abduct okay. people and do torture porn, I guess. Well, it's, that's not cool. It's it's unclear. Uh, ultimately, they, like they are definitely doing abductions, and like the the main lady is just like extremely bad. It it's kind of feels like it starts Death Wish series. Like it's it's the first movie in the series, but it feels like Death Wish five in terms of how absurd it is and just sleazy and ridiculous and over the top. Okay, cool. And last up is Nightmare on Elm Street three Dream Warriors, 
which you have, of course, seen before, but uh, we have talked about it. Uh, it does feel like the real start to the franchise as people know it. Like, this is the Freddy that people recognize, and he's not really this Freddy in the first two. He's more of a frightening figure who is just uh, a nightmare beast, whereas here he starts having one-liners. Mostly just him calling people bitch and transforming into things. Yeah. Uh, And, like, you know, it it does have the hallmarks of the series. It's really character-focused. That You you get to know all of the characters, and you do kind of empathize with them. They're not annoying people that you want to die. Mm -hmm. I I guess my... Sorry, go ahead. They get... uh, Yeah, I remember they all get superpowers, and one kid's superpower is he gets to have sex with a nurse. That's that's the superpower he chose. Yeah, uh, and that one guy gets to be a D&D wizard. Uh, Like, uh, it's it's very silly in a way. Like, there's this very kiddie energy to it, despite how gruesome it is. Uh, And I, I guess the thing about it that has always kind of not... Uh, sat well with me is that they're all these abused and institutionalized kids and it does kind of make it a little less fun <laughs> yeah that uh, is something that uh that upset me the first time watching it I was like huh, what a what a crazy fun way to die oh for this uh mentally challenged child to die that's not so fun yeah it's it's kind of unfair uh and and like it it does feel a little meaner than the other series in that respect despite and maybe even because of how freddy's one-liners sort of take over the narrative and how uh gruesome all of the deaths are and personalized they're all very personal and all kind of like acting on their own worst fears and stuff so yeah i i don't know there there's an extra layer of nastiness to freddy that has always made it kind of my uh lower choice although i i think as a series the movies are better made than most of the halloween ones after the first three yeah i mean well those movies aren't very well made (laughs) they're they're a mess the like the halloween series is the roughest of them all for me but to be fair i didn't grow up with those and i did grow up with friday and nightmare like i watched all of those movies when i was a kid uh right on so that's um, the seven. What do you figure? Well, let's just go with the Oregonian. I want to see what that's all about. All right. Uh, Oregonian is totally rad. Very interesting movie. Plot question mark. <laughs> uh, so we've got only three editions. First up from the Doris Wishman set. We've got keyholes are for peeping. <laughs> oh, um... <laughs> Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I I wonder what this is going to be about. There's this guy who's a wannabe marriage counselor, and he's, like, going around counseling all his neighbors. And there's a maintenance man in the apartment building, and he's just peeping on everything. Hmm. It's a nudie right. cutie, which is what, <laughs> what they would do before uh, sex in movies was allowed. So you just have, like, nudity in silly situations. <laughs> all right. Uh, Next up is Two Undercover Angels. This is a Jess Franco film. I don't think you've seen any Jess Franco. I've watched a ton of it. It it, it comes up a lot. The name has come up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hazy Sex Nightmare is usually the words I would uh, put together with him. This is is one of his really early movies uh, about two secret agents called The Red Lips. These two lady secret agents. Uh, And... 
they're out to take out the evil Klaus Thriller, who's a supervillain pop artist, and he has a werewolf sidekick. Uh, they're suspected in a bunch of murders, and the the red lips have to take them out. My understanding, you know, like really uh, giddy post Bond '60s spy stuff, and and pretty uh, light and breezy. Cool, cool. And last up, Faceless, another Jess Franco film at the other end of his career, late '80s. Uh, this one's his take on the slasher movie. Oh, all right. So it's a, a plastic surgeon who's kidnapping young women to harvest their flesh and organs for his plastic surgery business. Uh, faceless being, you know, cutting people's faces off, I would imagine. Oh, so she's going to or he's going to take their face off. Uh, from what I've heard, like it, it, certainly for the latter part of his career, his most well-liked work. Cool. All right. So what do you figure for our main feature next week? Uh, for the main feature, I can't remember what it was, but something we watched in the last week or two got me thinking about yokai monsters. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, you I, mentioned it uh, on when, when we were watching uh, Legendary Stardust Brothers. Right. Yeah. Uh, because there were there is some creature work in that movie. Mm hmm. Uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe let's check in on our little adorable yokai spirits. So that's the last one in the original yokai series, along with ghosts, uh, from 1969. Uh, I guess this is, uh, so the, the, the plot of this one is, uh, gangsters are after a, a little girl who might be testifying against them. Uh, and they murder her grandfather on sacred ground, so the yokai monsters have to step in. Oh, interesting. So protecting a little girl from gangsters is where we're at with this one. Uh, my understanding oh. is this is kind of leaning more towards the children's film end of it and kind of a little bit lighter and sillier, because I know the last one was like the whole crazy yokai war. Yeah, that was dope. It's like the I guess the Power Rangers monster. That one was awesome. <laughs> that one ruled. All right. So next week then we're doing uh Long with Ghosts and the Oregonian. All right, well, uh thanks so much for listening. Uh any last thoughts before uh we we call it an evening? Yeah, what if you tire before the podcast is over? <laughs> uh, the hoop sucker, the hud swinger. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Oh man, uh, yeah, I like th that's the sort of thing about the the Coen brothers specifically that it's the repetition of it that like when you come back to them, it's like. 80% funnier because you've already heard it like six times the first time you watch the movie. <laughs> the 45th floor, 44th if you count the mezzanine. <laughs> yeah, those ones. Uh, all right. Uh, thanks so much, everyone. Uh, have a good night. And, you know, for kids. <laughs>